pod, my cock small. Uh, oh, well, that's weird. Don't know how I said that. Let me try that again. Take two. Bangly bang. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and my cock is small. So small. No, isn't it Mike Oxmall? Mike. Michael? Sure. Oxmall. Let's go with that, shall we? And I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to... Fast and Furious, colon, Hobbs and Shaw, or if you're listening to this in the United States of America, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, which I think is the better title. But anyway, it's the ninth in the Fast and Furious series. It is the first spin-off from the lucrative franchise. And it's incredibly our first Fast and Furious related spoiler special. What? How has that happened? That is an oversight on our part. Huge oversight. How we didn't begin the podcast with a Fast Five spoiler special. Did it come out 2011 before so the podcast? Glorious. It predated the podcast. That's, 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 why. Why that's why we haven't done a Fast Five spoiler special. But anyway, joining me to rev their engines and retcon themselves silly are three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is a woman who once blew up an orphanage, but it's okay because it turned out she quite liked puppies. So that's nice, isn't it? It's Helen O'Hara. How are you? Look, that's been taken very much out of context. I'm a very different person now. Yeah. I've made an entirely heel face turn and I'm now a good guy. In fact, I saw a letter uh, of commendation uh, mm-hmm. about you yeah. by the orphanage that you, you blew up. Well, I mean, did I blow it up or was that malicious propaganda? <laughs> Who that's knows? the question. These it? are the themes that are tackled in, <laughs> in, a, in a film as weighty as Fast and Furious, Colon Hobbs and Shaw. It's such a good ampersand day for Shaw. ampersands. Isn't <laughs> it, it really is. Oh. The best ampersand since Anton Deck. Uh, next up is a man who once kicked the moon in the face because he didn't like the way it looked at him. But it's okay because it turned out he likes butterflies. It's Ben Travis. How are you? I'm good. I've decided to rename myself Camden Law for this uh, (laughs) this spoiler special. So if you could just refer to me as that throughout, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. And finally, last but not least in the podcast is a man who, if rumour is to be believed, actually started World War One. Is this true, Nick Dissemlian? Genocide, menocide. <laughs> Actual line of dialogue from Hobson Shaw. Genocide, menocide. Yeah, it's true. More, more villains should say that. It's true. Um, Have you been retconned, Nick? Because you're, you're a villain, but are you a hero now? Well, you're calling me Nick. Uh, technically not true. Yeah. I am now Deckard Dissemlian. Uh, if if, uh, if Deckard Shaw is allowed to change his first name, I am uh, using that privilege. Yeah. What was the question? It wasn't a question. Oh, okay, I thought you asked me one. How are you? You're, you're, you're I'm good. good, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah. yeah. You excited to be talking about Fast and Furious, Colon Hobbs and Ampersand Shaw? I am, I am. I have spent a night in a car park with the stars of Fast and Furious. I was on set of Fast and Furious okay. 6. It was one of the, the most glorious days I've ever spent in a car park. I interviewed The Rock at 6am. I, and I, I got That's home. Least expects it. I got home and he tweeted. He tweeted and posted my name in a tweet. I was so That's excited. right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I will forever love this uh, franchise for that. Other than talking to you, what was he doing? I feel like he's always either like eating or like pumping iron, or he can't just do one thing at once. Surely, like was he? What was he up to in the? Car I park? saw him doing some press ups in between takes, and the best thing about that was it was a dialogue scene. <laughs> like genuinely, <laughs> they were doing an exposition scene in a car park. All of them were there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at Shepperton Studios, and The Rock was getting down and doing press-ups. Amazing. Between talking scenes. I mean, look, as we've heard, there is a lot going on behind the scenes of these films, and you so want to look much. as pumped up as possible. You do. As, like, buff and as rippling and bit of sweat, get oh, the veins popping. I did an abs crunch before I started talking, just mm-hmm. there now. I found out an amazing fact on that set visit, actually, which is The Rock uses something called sweet sweat to have spray-on sweat during action scenes. So when you see him and he's yeah. all, like, you know... 
sweaty and perspiring. Mm. That is that is, comes from a can. This is one of the many things we're going to get is it into. A can of whoopas. <laughs> it might have actually <laughs> been a can of whoopas. Uh, or is it Bakari sweat, which is a very popular drink in Japan? No. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, so my cock's small, and I don't keep saying that. <laughs> it's it's a really great name, isn't it? It's a great pseudonym name? for. What do you mean name? Yes, name. It's a great name, and it's a very <laughs> funny moment in this movie that we will be discussing in great detail just as soon as we hear from the man who is responsible for the mayhem unleashed in Fast and Furious, Colon, Hobbs, Ampersand, Shaw. So, it is David Leach, who of course is the director of, well, co-director of John Wick, director of Atomic Blonde, director of Deadpool 2, and now director of the aforementioned movie that I'm not going to say the name of because it uh, is frankly very confusing. And that's actually where we began. We began with the title of this movie and then it's very clever way of circumventing the MPAA's F-bomb rule. So here we go. Me talking to David Leach. Do enjoy. Delighted to be joined on this very, very special Hobbs and Shaw. Or do you call it Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw? Spoiler special, David Leach. What, 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 what are you, we, where do you stand in that? Uh, thank you for the intro. And yes, we <laughs> call it the Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Okay. So, uh, it's a mouthful, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. The sequel will be something like, you know, the Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw Presents something. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, you know, it's important to uh, connect to that world. And to yep. that fan base, and I think it was always something, you know, they really wanted to make sure that we we let people know that we're sort of entrenched in that world, and it's such a beloved franchise. So. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe next will be Hobbs and Shaw presents Fast and Furious 9, is that? <laughs> <laughs> I would love that, by the way. I would love that. Hobbs presents Fast and Furious 10, mm. Shaw presents Fast and Furious 9, <laughs> and there we go. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, not to just talk, I know yeah. you didn't even have a question yet, I but I'm yeah. looking out the window here, and that is the building that we did the Descender sequence on. Yes. It's right there. It's right it's there. pretty amazing. I presume that's why they, because uh, I've never been to the junk at this hotel. Yeah. And I presume that's one of the reasons why they did it. So you yeah. can you can point at your actual locations as you, <laughs> <laughs> you go around. You could do a Hobbs and Shaw tour. I won't reveal the name of the hotel that we're in. I always like to start these spoiler specials with the big question that's on everybody's lips. And in this case, it is, how do you get around the MPAA with this movie? Because uh, for the last few years, as far as I understand it, you're allowed one F-bomb in a PG-13. Correct. You get rounded here by having two people say fuck at exactly the same time. Exactly. Did you have any problems with the MPAA? Or well, you, Look, uh, the MPAA is... Um, <laughs> It's it's a sort of it's a difficult sort of um, entity to work with, but I think that ultimately, if you look at it in a positive way, they're trying to protect artists from um, future legislation. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of a counseling body of saying, "Hey, you know, if you, we want to just we want to make sure that you're not offending people, because at some point, then um, legislation comes in and it, like makes it." A, a hardcore demand yeah. and the law and I think that that's it's a good thing that what they're doing um, how do you get around it well you have conversations um, you plant a lot more F-bombs in your movie so you can take a bunch out okay. it's kind of like yeah <laughs> and um, yeah and then you, you, that's exactly what you do I mean I think you you submit the first pass with like what you'd really want uh-huh. and you say you know we had a couple other F-bombs in there and we even had the mouthing of uh, Hobbs you know, on the oh, yeah, on yeah, the descender yeah. sequence, and it's yeah. in the actual online trailer. Yeah. But then in the um, in the actual movie, we had to spiderweb the glass, so you can kind of see his mouth say it. <laughs> and that was the last negotiation 
to get the, you know, because they were like, you got to get rid of the mouthing of uh, FU. And we're like, really? Uh-huh. But um, yeah, so we ended up getting away with two F-bombs. Uh, as long as they're said simultaneously, simultaneously <laughs> yes, and it worked out great. It's very clever. I like it. it. it was good. Look, I mean, my experience on Deadpool 2, I learned a lot about the MPAA, and uh-huh. um, especially when we did the the Christmas special, yes. because that was like an experiment of like, how do we cut this movie down that's supposed to be R uh-huh. and make it into something that's PG-13? Having your lead character wear a mask helps <laughs> in that situation. It does, I because guess. you can constantly change the, you know what he's saying yeah so it was great and then of course you know after John Wick and Atomic Blonde and you know now this is your kind of first Dalian's as a director in the PG-13 realm yeah. what did that mean from you for from an action point of view uh, there were certain things we had to tone down in the action too and I think if you look at the third act set piece um, where we went with the ancient Samoan weapons mm-hmm. and it became more of like a Braveheart battle sequence as opposed to a gunfight yeah. that was a conscious choice we were PG-13 um, I think we wanted to have sort of a subtle message to families, like not every set piece has to have guns. Mm-hmm. And that's why Mama gives a little speech about guns. And, you know, it's not to be overly political. It was just like, how can we be more creative? Because the gun is always the throwback. I'm guilty of it. I mean, I did Deadpool, <laughs> Atomic Blonde, John Wick, like we created gun foo. But it was like sort of fun. It was fun to sort of cleanse the palate and go, I can't, we're taking the guns away. All right. Yeah. And how do we make a third act set piece sing? Yeah. Um, and so it was, it benefited us on the PG 13 side and it sort of, you know, creatively gave us an interesting set piece. I guess it also yeah. it also comes from character in a, in a weird way as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, Hobbs and Shaw, they, they come from a, uh, a franchise where it's carfu. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Certainly gunfu. Gun totally. Yeah, so um, I don't know that they've necessarily been known in this franchise for a huge amount of, of gunplay. No. So I mean, certainly not in the, what we do in the Deadpool movies or what we do in John Wick. Yeah. Like, you know, not... But there's a lot of guns when you look at Fast Five or you look at, you know, there's always... There's, There's always, always guns. guns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it was great to actually get to take my sort of fight prowess and apply it to Jason, who's an amazing fight guy, yeah. and to Dwayne, who's also an amazing fight guy in his own right, and then create sort of these distinct styles and get them set pieces and just have fun with the choreography. We're skipping right ahead to the final fight in a way because yeah. I was really intrigued by how you, you presented that. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's almost impressionistic at yeah. times, the way you, the way you present that, uh, that final fight between... Hobbs, Sean Brixton. Yeah, I mean, part of it, to be honest, part of it was like creative. Part of it was like solving logistical problems. I mean, I think I really wanted to, we had so many fights in the movie. How do you differentiate this one when it's a huge story point? Mm. And we really needed to hit home them working together. And like, how do you demonstrate like there's a window of time when he's you're getting hit that you can hit him. Like mm-hmm. that was like, yeah, yeah. kind of need to stop time. So we came up with this idea of shooting in slow-mo and they're actually acting in slow-mo at the same time. <laughs> so because like um, to, to do, we were thinking about, okay, we'll shoot the phantom camera and we'll do photosonics. And um, it still became logistically difficult because you got to punch the guy in the face because of the way I was shooting it. So then we decided, okay, well, we'll shoot it at 48 frames, but we'll do an, um, we're going to do a post effect. You guys are acting in uh-huh. slow motion. So they're actually acting in slow motion and hitting each other and... <laughs> They thought it was so fun and like everyone was ge- geeking out. Like it was like. It's what you do as kids, as yeah, teenagers. Yeah, teenagers, just, right? And I'm like. And then all that post effect water was like 
sort of Dan Glass, my visual effects uh, uh, coordinator, he really helped me with that and like got, you know, I think um, Framestore did that and it was really beautiful stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, where possible, did you try and keep the, the acting in slow motion away from dialogue scenes? Did you, <laughs> <laughs> did you yes. have it just, just for the action stuff? Yes, just for the action. <laughs> Sometimes I wish that they talked faster, but uh, yes. They're two very delivery guys. It, yeah. They, and and Idris as well, you know, they, yeah. they have their own rhythms, their own pace. They do, they do. But I'll say one of my, um, one of my favorite notes as a director, and this came from uh, Jim Mangold, he always told me, he's like, you know, you can give a lot of notes as you're doing takes. And uh, he's like, but the one note that he learned, from, I can't remember who he learned it from, but he's like, always get one faster. That's all you need to be like, okay, now do one faster. Because <laughs> like, you never know, you're sitting at an editorial and you're like, I don't know how to take the air out of this moment. Let's go to the faster take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That comes from uh, the George Lucas school, doesn't it? Faster, more intense. Uh, yes. That was pretty much his, his main direction on Star Wars. Pretty much, yeah. Just faster, faster more, more intense. intense. Less slow motion, please, Harrison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we're going to have to cut that bit out. Right. Um, but you, you, we talked at the beginning about how the movie is Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. And you talk about anchoring this movie to that franchise, of course. Yes. But at the same time, it seems also that you're having a lot of fun. You're doing your own thing. You're pushing this, this movie in ways that... The Fast and Furious franchise has been becoming more OTT and larger than life and... Mm-hmm. You know, has had more sci-fi and even superhero elements over the last few films. But here you're really going for it. I mean, this is pure sci-fi comic book stuff <laughs> at times with Brixton. Totally. And I think um, we made the bold choice at the beginning to do that. I think um, you're right. Like the fast franchises have a way of um, reinventing itself and allowing this expansion and this like heightened reality. And it just keeps going. And the people have accepted it more and more and more. And so... Um, when I took on Hobbs and Shaw, obviously I wanted to make it my own, but I also knew I had to ground it in this sort of fast world. The thing that I reached into the fast world was like, we can do these big set pieces, even mm. more so than I've done in the past. Like we're kind of, you know, Chad and myself are known for grounded action and mm. practical stunts, but it was fun to like take that and then go, all right, now we're going to add this massive set piece element to it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, by the way, I mean, it was like the whole time I'm like, hope people accept this. <laughs> Seriously. And then it was like uh-huh. when the first trailer dropped, we were still shooting in um, Hawaii. Yeah. And the response was like crazy. Brixton, oh my God, he's black Superman. This is, And I was like, because I thought like, we, I hadn't really even dived into editorial yet. I'm thinking like, we're going to have to cut the movie and make it more grounded. Yeah. But then we realized that the marketing material was kind of helping us assess the you know put our toe in the water and people were responding to the tone hmm. and the and the sci-fi element and they like yeah. we love it we yeah. just want to escape and have fun and that's the movie we wanted to make so yeah, yeah. it seems in many ways like the logical not conclusion but the logical extension of where the the fast and furious franchise has been going and i'm glad you, you stuck with it because you really lean into it right from the off i mean we have Brixton Vision, right from the off. We <laughs> yeah. have Super Fires right from the off. Yeah. Um, at what point were those was ele- were those elements introduced? Not not quite at the beginning. I mean, I think not the original draft that I got. Um, but then when we started to work on the script as we got to London, we had about um, three months of prep, and we were like digging into the script. And I I just started to push the how do you find a character who can stand up to Jason and Dwayne physically, you know, Mm. and you, so this idea of like someone who's augmented or has sort of like this extra powers, he's enhanced. 
that just started to snowball, <laughs> you know, first we yeah. get Idris and that's great enough, but then it's like, okay, now he's bionic. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think, um, and Chris Morgan, he's easy to push t- off that ledge. Like he loves it. <laughs> he loves it. I mean, he's the guy that came up with the submarine. So <laughs> that's so, very, very true. Yeah. And what about, uh, Drew Pierce? Who's mm. a fantastic screenwriter as well. He is. And I think to have that combo was such mm. a gift. Um, those guys are really collaborative and working off each other. And it was like a really, um, it was a great process for all of us, like to have the, those two voices in the room and like, and Chris had to take on a big producer role in this. Mm. So, um, it was good to just have the, the day to day with Drew to like hammer some stuff out. The, uh, the, the convoy of, of vehicles being chained to each other at the end, that felt that felt very Drew Piercy, was it? Or I would have to say it's Chris Morgan. That's Chris Morgan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Need it, to get is, these. it is. <laughs> it is. It is. Cool. That's cool. Um, and but there's other things that are distinctly Drew, and like you know. So, but that was a Chris sort of uh, third act, fast set piece. What can mm. we do? The you know how, how could it pushes get physics. Yes. <laughs> right. So um, you also have you introduce it right at the beginning. You introduce uh, Brixton. You introduce uh, Hattie Shaw as well. And it's interesting because you're setting up right from the beginning. We don't go to Hobbs and Shaw right away. You're setting up the stakes. You're setting mm-hmm. up what they're what they're up against. Was that always the, the case? It wasn't. That's a really good question. I had two versions of the movie. First act, very different, and I had tested both. Um, I did one where it was more of a nonlinear version when I start on those dueling close-ups of them insulting each other and they're staring at camera right at the lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like get, and then it's like, you see the insults and then you smash cut. It's like one day earlier and then they wake oh, up. Okay. Yep. The alarm clocks go off. They yep. wake up and as they're, um, respectively hanging the guy out the window and like going to tattoo the stuff on the guy's forehead, we flash to the night that the virus was stolen and Personally, as a filmmaker, I liked that version. It was a little more frenetic. Tonally, I thought it set up the movie in a more fun way. Yeah. But ultimately, I think it wasn't as clear. And I think when you're making a movie for such a wide audience, a four-quadrant audience, an international audience, you sometimes have to step back and go, you know, I want to make this as accessible to people as possible. And I liked both openings. The cold open, as I call it, the one that you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is great. It sets up the stakes, and then we meet our guys, and you sort of delay the anticipation. So they both had their merits. One, you hammered the tone right away. It's fun. And the other one is like set up stakes and build anticipation, and you kind of just go, hmm. It was great. Honestly, they both tested very similarly, and um, it was really like what I thought would be better for the movie going forward. Do you think we might get to see uh, your director's cut one day? I would love it. I would love to. Um, I think we're going to try and get that additional scene on the Blu-ray. Just uh-huh. sort of that opening so yeah. people can see it. It's kind of, yeah. it's a fun opening. But it's really all the same material, just jumbled. Just jumbled around a bit, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But you, you also, I love that. Uh, I do love the way you introduce Hobbs and Shaw. That's uh, that parallel, that split screen yeah. thing. That feels very new for this, for this franchise as well. Where did that idea come from? Um, it came, uh, it was just something in my head. Like, um, and that was sort of built off that song, Better Is One, that I had I had heard in sort of a list of stuff that Uni had sent. It was some songs that have been unreleased yet. And I started to think about these guys coming together and how can I explain them physically, just visually? How can I sort of just make this sort of visual motif of like who these guys are? Mm-hmm. And then it discussions with Jonathan Sella, my DP who I work with all the time. Mm-hmm. 
we're like, it would be great if we do like a crazy split screen where, but we use the exact focal length and like we build the sets so they're exactly the same, but they, you know, you're wondering why everything is symmetrically perfect. And he's like, I don't want to do that. So we did it. <laughs> uh, and I think it's just some really good character building without any words, it's just a song and some very distinctive visuals that sort of explain that these guys are very different, but they're actually the same. Did it, was there anything cut out? Did you because um, when you when you construct something like that and it's so meticulous, yeah, I mean, like, I guess you can't take things out. So you have to. There you... are. There's a lot. I mean, just in terms of time, the yeah. movie, you know, compression always happens in editorial. So that might have been another thirty seconds longer. Okay. There's a few little gags. I Bits mean, the pieces. breakfast thing got a little. Um, <laughs> long it was fun i had so much fun like making like how uh shaw makes breakfast is so meticulous and Hobbs just cracks eggs in a glass and drinks them. <laughs> but um yeah there's a few things probably left out yeah okay uh, it also sets up this uh contrast of personalities and this contrast of styles you know we seem to go out at fast seven and we've, we've you know they've had a a thawing of relations in fast eight as well but yeah. they're still very much you know Hobbs is still very much the hammer and uh, and Shaw's still very much the scalpel, and that, that's that's echoed all the way through all their action scenes. That corridor sequence, for example, is yeah. uh, it's a lovely way of uh, of showing that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean the corridor sequence was um, a great fight scene designed by my stunt team, and they, uh, Greg Rementer was the uh, fight coordinator and actually directed some second unit on this as well. He. Uh, we had pitched him this whole idea, and this is actually the this was initially a Drew idea when we were sort of breaking down like every set piece like how do we define them and like how do we put them at odds but still move forward and he had the idea of this dueling hallway (laughs) where they could see each other (laughs) and um, then I let the stunt team go crazy with it and they came up with this great fight like whatever 15 on one versus one guy it's pretty fun <laughs> who gets taken out really quick yeah really quick <laughs> really really quick yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fun there's a there are some very interesting cameos in the film <laughs> that are uh, uncredited i checked the credits and uh uh we don't we don't we don't know who plays Locke. who is that guy who plays Locke? he <laughs> looks is, familiar that is ryan reynolds that's ryan reynolds <laughs> i knew i knew i recognized the voice i just couldn't place the face yes um yeah and obviously you got uh, you got kevin hart as yeah. well and you got uh, rob delaney yes. as well so uh was that partly you going through your rolodex and dwayne going through his rolodex how did the, how did those cameos come about it's pretty it's Pretty much that simple. I mean, I had, look, we we had that scene in the diner with um, the exposition of the virus. And I find those scenes often to be stuffy and not fun. And um, Ryan was actually shooting um, Michael Bay movie in Europe. And oh, we were, Six Underground. We were, yeah. Six Underground. Yeah. And we were here in London. And I called him and I said, I have this scene about this virus and I have to explain it. And it's boring and stuffy. And I'm like do you want to play the guy that gives him the, the mission? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and so I sent him the pages and he did his Ryan sort of riff on it. Yeah. Um, and then I shared him with Chris and we got him okayed by the studio and he flew over on a weekend and we shot that in London. Um, and I, and you just, his character just sort of came to life. Like, oh my God, like people are going to want him in this world. Like it was immediate. I mean, I knew immediately like, oh no, like for better or worse, like they're going to want him in this world. So um, when it came to the end of the movie and we were trying to sort of wrap up the, the virus, 
we needed a little bit of exposition, you know, after we tested it a couple of times and, and yeah. I'm like, Hey Ryan, would you like to come back and <laughs> reprise? He's like, yes. That's why he's clean shaven at the end. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> right. So he was on free guy and he actually flew from Boston to LA on a weekend and we, we shot it. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, we had, we built such a good relationship on Deadpool two that, yeah. you know, um, it was really just fun that he could come out and do and honestly, a huge solid for me and um, I think for the movie. And then moving forward, I would, I mean, I'm sure people would love to see him in this world. Like, yeah. I, I, I want to see him in this world. Make the Locke movie. Let's do it. You could call it Fast and Furious Presents, Hobbs and Shaw Presents. Exactly. Locke. Locke. Or maybe you could have Loeb in there as well. Like well, Locke and Loeb. Locke and Loeb. Yes. That's funny. That's um, Kelly... Uh, my wife, who's a producer on this, she was she always was making that joke from the beginning. It was like Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw presents Lock and Lobe, locked and lobed. <laughs> I'm I'm here for that. I'm here so, for that. Um, Rob was great too. To, yeah. He was obviously living. He, he's yeah. living here, so yeah. um, he was excited to come out and we had fun. And this time he didn't have a mustache, and this time you didn't uh, pulp him, no. or, or or have him, you know, have him just die horribly. <laughs> no, which is good. <laughs> push him off the back of Justice the aircraft. <laughs> None of that. Uh, yeah. Was there more Rob at any point, or was it very much a kind of in and out? It one was in and out. Okay. Yeah. Thing. Okay. And with uh, with Kevin Hart, was that uh, where where did that come from? That that league? was like Dwayne and Kevin are so close, and um, I think that there's also look there's an appetite to be in this Sorry, universe just... and to be in this world. And um, I think Kevin was excited at the potential of like coming in and doing something fun and like, and then if, you know, the potential of him and Dwayne working together in the future, or if he could be, you know, one of the guys here. So we had, um, you know, Chris Morgan and I and and Hiram and and the team had all sort of figured out who, what his character could be. And like, you know, he is sort of like Leo Gitz in a sense, right? <laughs> so, and it's... I've never yeah. made that connection before. Yeah. 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 You know, he's got to get you anything. I can get yeah. you a plane. I can get you a G5. I can get you, um, you know, Tomahawk missile. I get you anything. So um, he does. He actually gets him a, a ride to Samoa. And, you know, it helps that transition as well. Like a lot of these movies with this travel log nature, it's like... Okay, now we're in so and so. So how do you get there? And um, I thought it was a good use of him. Besides the comic relief, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I again, I I would love to see a movie with all these characters: Hobshaw, um, yeah, yeah, Dinkley, yeah, Lock, Loeb. Like <laughs> we did such an incredible job. I think um, sort of uh, canvassing the world so quickly. Yeah. But here's the thing, David, if you if you bring all these characters into another movie, the poster is going is just going to be the name of the movie. You're going to have to have a <laughs> gatefold poster. The credits alone will take 14 days. Yes. You have to think about that sort of stuff going forward, but you know, totally. see how it goes. I just want to talk about a couple of other things. I mean, um, in terms of the Fast and Furious the the Mothership franchise. Yeah. There are no real cameos from characters in that world. Uh, there's Mr. Mr. Nobody's referred to at one yeah. point. Was there talk about bringing anyone over for even a, a quick high by cameo? Um, there was talk of a few characters, and I think it just didn't it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I'm I think there's probably I think there's really the want for. Um, these two franchises to work together mm-hmm. and, and, and um, hopefully in the future we can actually bring you mm-hmm. know, some of these characters into our world and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I know that there's a definitely desire for that. And there, there was no Owen Shaw this time around. Was there any talk of, of Luke Evans? Um, in the beginning, but I think it was like there were so many characters. We were really just trying to like, how do we mm. focus on setting up the worlds of, you know, Shaw and um, and Hobbes and in its sort of um, and focus on those characters. I, I had a lot of story to tell regardless. <laughs> I mean, yeah. everyone is estranged from their family. Everybody's trying to yep. reconnect. I had a, the, the backstory between Brixton and Shaw. Yep. There's a lot to wrap up. Yep. And um so I think it was like sa- saving um, Luke for additional stuff and like, you know, I don't know, a Shaw standalone movie or whatever. You know, the, mm-hmm. I, right now the potential for the world is kind of like what whatever the studio would like to do with it. Mm-hmm. Hobbs, Shaw, apart, come back together. <laughs> like you got Brixton, yep. have his own movie. If he didn't, if he survives, if who he knows? Survives, who we know? don't know. Well, Spoiler. we never see a body. You never we see ne- a body. We never yes. see a body. Yes. So um, I thought that was a very deliberate decision to keep him on the board. And in fact, there's there's a sense. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, when, when Shaw was introduced into this franchise, he was a straight out now bad guy. Yeah. One of the first things he does is kill a beloved character. Then he tries <laughs> Spends the entire movie trying to kill people. Now he's a good guy. So nothing set in stone in this, no. In this franchise. No, no, no. And I think <laughs> that's what people love about the world. Yeah. I mean, but first of all, they love the characters in the Fast Universe. They love them. But they love that it can evolve and transform and make these bold choices. And, you know, and it can be controversial and, you know. Yeah, fun. Did you see Brixton in a way as a sort of uh, echo of Shaw and his backstory where he starts off as a bad guy? You get the sense as well. There, there are little hints that Brixton isn't entirely happy with his situation, yeah. that he feels maybe that he's being controlled in some way and that he's been trapped. Yes. And I think that we, we were we intended to do that and that we made him sort of a conflicted villain and that, you know, he has so the audience could access him and like be empathetic to him at the end. Mm. I think there was, that was a, that was intentional. I think it was like, you want to make him formidable. You want to make him diabolical and you want to make sure that he deserves his death, Mm -hmm. but you also want to empathize with him and you want to make him charismatic and likable. So we were trying to mold all those things into him as he falls off that cliff. You're kind of like, Oh man, I kind of like that guy, you know, (laughs) because maybe we bring him back. But also it's interesting that you, He's not dispatched by Hobbs and Shaw. That's okay. it, you, you don't put it on them to, to get rid of him. Yeah, I'm so. I should just do interviews with you all the time because you're so aware of what the movie is. That yeah, again, like another intentional choice. It's like not only this this theme of forgiveness or you know everybody's sort of like reconnecting with their mm-hmm. past and like having making amends and, mm-hmm. and asking and sort of like forgiving the past, but like um, having this not a beloved villain not be cloud our our heroes in a yeah. sense like you know the, the director is the ultimate villain and the director takes him out our heroes say we'll let you live to fight another day and you know i wonder how much of that i mean that that, that kind of stems right from the beginning right right from the very first fast and furious where you know you have this this blurred morality and it's a, it's an entire series is about second chances. The entire franchise had a second chance itself. Yeah. Everyone had written this franchise off and then suddenly now it's one of the biggest shows in town. It's yeah. just goes to show. It's true. If you never see a body, then, <laughs> then you are fine. Um, true. You introduce this super organization and I may be mispronouncing here. Etion? Yeah, Etion. Etion, sorry, yeah. my mistake. Uh, Etion. And uh, what can you say about that and where they're coming from? And you never reveal who the director is. Yes. Well, I mean, ultimately, 
it's a bigger metaphor, I think, for will t- is man versus machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, will technology be the end of us? Those are the questions I was sort of like posing sort of out there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep the um, the organization gray in the sense that we can obviously build it out in the future. Mm-hmm. But it has a lot to do with like advancing technologies, AI, um, sort of some classic themes in sci-fi movies. It's like, yeah. are we going to face something? It's on everyone's minds at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Really? yeah. So we're going to face yeah. something that we can't control. Mm. And that we've created. That's been a, something that we've created. Um, I liked that uh, Brixton could ask these sort of philosophical questions about like a machine. You know, it's like the more machine I am, the more humane I, you know, be human I become. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, but you know, ultimately, there's something in the human soul and the human sort of spirit that can transcend just pure logic and and algorithms and like you know black and white and ones and zeros. I mean, we can, we have the ability to do things that are special and creative and, um, that a computer hopefully will never be able to do. Yeah. Um, otherwise we're going to be consumed. (laughs) (laughs) It's a terrifying, it's a terrifying prospect. It is. It It is. is. So I wanted to just sort of let, let, and sort of like, let that start to sort of Hmm. out there in the world, in our world, in the Hobbes and Shaw world. Like that's the ultimate villain right now. And there's there's other things as well about, you know, control of media and which is very, very uh, prevalent right now, everyone's thoughts. But uh, the the, the director, final question on that, uh, the director, you don't reveal the identity of the director. Uh, Do you know who it is or (laughs) you just hedging your bets for the time being? Um, I know who it is, but I didn't, you know, it was just sort of like... We've been keeping it um, under wraps, and I think part of it is because maybe we want to change who that is. But um, ah, okay. in my mind, could it be a person? Yes. Could it be AI? Yes. Could okay. It be, could be a lot of things. I have a short list of suspects. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, if sure. I went through them with you and watched your face very, very carefully and see what happens, but All right. is it Finn Diesel? I'm kidding. That would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Can you imagine? Can you great. imagine? <laughs> All right. Can I get a plug in for the 8711 podcast? Of course you so, can. Um, Chad and I, 8711, uh, our action team, our stunt team, we have a podcast where we're actually um, interviewing stunt performers in our group. And, oh, wow. Uh, cool. Chad and I are on the platform as well. And it's something that we're trying to get the message out there about the stunts uh, in sort of the world of Hollywood and. Uh, Oh man, yeah. like, it's I, for yeah. eighty-seven eleven podcast. I'm going to check out that podcast. Is it? A, is it a podcast? Is, is it quite sedate? Is it like two people sitting in chairs? Like it's like you just and I like right this. Now? It's just like this. Uh, the the moderator is Kale, who actually runs the the gym mm-hmm. at eighty-seven eleven, and it was his sort of his brainchild. And we're like, that sounds fun. Let's do it because a lot of our young team have a lot of crazy stories, as you can imagine. <laughs> so, um, but we're going to now start spreading it out of, over. Um, Coordinators, prolific coordinators in the business, second unit directors, all of our connections. We're going to get them on the platform and oh, man. T- tell stories. Absolutely, I am. I am so there. But have you considered maybe doing it while diving out of a plane or <laughs> you know driving cars at ninety miles an hour? It might be more fun. It might be more fun. You might have sound quality though issues that <laughs> okay. you never know. But David Lee's director of Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, and exclusive on this podcast, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw presents. Lock and Lobe and Dinkley presents <laughs> something. It's been a pleasure, man. Thanks so much. A pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. So that was David Leach uh, talking about Hobbs and Shaw. Or what do you prefer? Do you prefer Fast and Furious presents Fast and Furious colon? What, 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 what do you What do you like? 
no Fast and Furious at all, just Hobbs and Shaw. Um, I like I like the formality of a, of a present. You know, it sounds like like Hobbs and Shaw is a debutante going mm. to a ball. Yeah, <laughs> gives it a sense of grandeur that this film, as we will discuss, truly deserves. Mm. I feel like it should. They should go further. I feel like it should be Vin Diesel's mind presents Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Vin Diesel would what not want his name on this one though, would he? It That's would be, it would have true. To be Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Jason Statham's minds. <laughs> Working together, present mm. Fast and, and Furious, colon, Hobbs and Shaw. And, and the names would have to be reversed in certain territories to mm. keep it absolutely fair and even. Mm. Yeah. Dwayne Johnson's name first in Samoa. For Jason example. Statham's name first London. in London. Mm. And the rest of the UK. Sure. That's true, actually. <laughs> yeah, why, is Hobbs co- why does Hobbs come first? That That's probably alphabetical. Shaw and Hobbs mm. doesn't sound quite right. Yeah. Maybe Hobbs is a slightly more memorable name. We saw him first, right? It's as simple as that, isn't it? He's the bigger star. He's the he's the character who had the biggest impact on that on that series. Mm. You could argue the very reason that we're even sitting here in a in a room doing a spoiler special about Hobbs <laughs> and Shaw yeah. of all things is because of the impact that The Rock had on this franchise with Fast Five. One of my favourite facts is that that first scene that introduces Hobbs in Fast Five, you know, he gets off the plane, he's mm-hmm. walking down the, the runway doing that big monologue. They had to extend the runway because he was walking too fast. <gasps> and that's what they used in Fast Six, <laughs> yes. of course. Yes. But I remember interviewing the director and they, they said they literally, he wouldn't slow down. <laughs> like they had to rebuild the set. Has hasn't that um, so uncompromising? <laughs> that introduction hasn't that been become a bone of contention over the years because he says something along the lines of, "Okay, gentlemen, time to put on your," and he says he says thunderwear, uh, thunderwear, yeah. thunderwear. But we've always heard it as thunderwear, th. which mm. is yeah, th rather than f. And thunderwear, quite frankly, the Rock, if that is your real name, kind of thunderwear is better. It is better. He he says f mm. f u n. Uh, yeah, he actually corrected me on, on Twitter directly, um, which was both, you know, exciting, but also he was wrong. Devastating, so annoying. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so, um, was in he the wrong? UK, we I think don't. of it as Thunderwear because of Rupert Grint's Thunderpants. That's maybe it. It's probably the reason why we automatically <laughs> I, associate mm, those words. I often think of Rupert Grint's Thunderpants. Yeah. I myself actually have some Runderwear, which is uh, running. Is that what Scooby-Doo uses? Well, what's that for? <laughs> is that so there's no chafing? No chafing, yeah. No chafing. Mm. I think we've gone away from the pun name oh, yeah, okay. we're now yes. just talking about. A minute ago, I, I said The Rock was wrong, and I want to uh, retract that. <laughs> I, in, in the intervening minute or so, I've become quite scared. Mm. Well, you you remember the bit in Seven when he flexes his muscle and the cast on his arm literally shatters. Uh, Among the, other things. One of the great moments in cinema history. Daddy's got to go to work. Helen's got a faraway look. I do, I do. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's one of my favourite things. Um, um, okay, so Fast Five is... is uh, yeah... Fast Five is what he, the movie Heat could have been, right? I, I always feel of it, yeah. think of it in those terms. Uh, he has a, yeah, he has that amazing fist fight with Vin Diesel. Yes, which again the director said they they plotted as a free act um, structure <laughs> structure yeah. for, a, for a fight in which they're just essentially throwing each other's heads through walls. Yes, uh, free acts. Yes, There's a lot of drama in there. The favela chase is is great. Yep. The car chase with the safe is great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just there's a lot of just genuine joy yes. in Fast Five. More joy, I would say, actually, because we should probably talk about this film at some point, than we'll, we'll there is in this it. film. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I think that's that's fair. Uh, Fast Five is the high point of the franchise and the high point of many of our lives um, until 
portals, 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 portals. Uh, we should talk about that at some point. Though. And yeah, it's it's such a fun movie, Fast Five. And I'm never entirely sure that they intended it to be as fun as it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is my thing about the Fast movies. I'm never entirely sure that everyone's in on the joke. Mm. Mm. I'm pretty sure Justin Lin's in on the joke because he directed the paintball episode of Community. And you can't not be in on that joke and being you know I mean? and then, yeah, yeah. So because Fast Five is essentially the paintball episode yes. of Community writ large, precisely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Finn Diesel's not in the joke. I'm definitely I'm sure. Pretty yeah. sure he sees these movies as absolutely serious, dramatic <laughs> tracts about family and guilt and loss and redemption and revenge and all those great big weighty themes. So, uh, the, the rest yeah. of us see these movies as just absolutely ridiculous, preposterous, uh, over-the-top actioners that have really impressive stunts and uh, take themselves far too seriously, but hopefully with the right twinkle in the eye mm. at the right time. They are so daft. Like going with That's the heat it. analogy. Yeah. You know, this is like <laughs> yeah. if Al Pacino from Heat did a film where he teamed up in that character with Danny Trejo's character from Heat and had to save the world from a virus. <laughs> That's essentially I mean, what it is. Well, we'd, I'm, I'm, we'd all I'm watch it. So. I, I actually really want to watch that. <laughs> Who doesn't want to save the world from a virus? It's got a That's great virus. It's a great virus. Okay. I'm going to save the world from a virus. That's my Danny Trejo. Last, last time I heard Danny Trejo's voice... He was voicing a monkey in the Dora movie. Aww. So um, save it for the Dora the Explorer. I apologise. That's not across the stream. We're not spoiler. that far off. <laughs> Honestly, but <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's always been that. This is one of the upsetting things about this movie to me is that which movie? This movie that uh, Fast and Furious: Colin Hobbs ampersand Shaw. That's the one. That's the Why one. do you only ampersand one of the ands? Um, we need to start the podcast again. Okay. So my 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 theory has always been that The Rock was one of the people not taking it seriously and fast five through eight. But in this film, he kind of seems to be taking it seriously because he's the one talking about family and he's got that whole speech at the end about, I wrote it down because it was great. Brother, you may believe in machines, but we believe in people. Yes, uh, you, you, you may yeah. have all the tech in the world, but we have heart, and you're never going to beat that. Which I'm sorry, the history of colonialism <laughs> suggests otherwise. Um, <laughs> but yeah, good point. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I, he felt like he was taking it a little bit more seriously this time, and that upsets me. This movie doesn't feel like a Fast and Furious movie to me in any way, shape, or form. Apart from there's a car chase halfway through, there's a really gratuitous shot of, uh, of a girl's arse after about five minutes in the introduction to Hobbes in London uh, and but it's the it's the focus on family family that makes it feel like a Fast and Furious movie oh, and, and I don't know how genuine and sincere it is in this movie <laughs> I, I don't I think that everyone in this movie is in on the joke to all maybe the film's detriment but mm. it's still fun I had I had a good time with it uh, but I didn't enjoy it as much as any of the previous four Fast movies even the last one fast eight i wouldn't i would put it on a level with eight probably like there's a bit too much of it yeah. to really sing for me they, try, they kind of try and have their, their their you know protein shake and eat it if that's a thing <laughs> but you know they're, they're trying to present these characters as absolutely ridiculous there's completely implausible their lifestyle's just not realistic at all but at the same time they try and make you feel like they're fully rounded human beings mm. that you have to like get emotionally invested in and I mean, it's kind of like no we find out that the rock's got a kid in these films yes. <laughs> oh no she's been in it before has she? Yeah, Which Daddy. One, Daddy's got to go to work, and he also yes. was. Um, he he also did the hacker with her soccer team. Do you remember? Was that the oh, last? Oh, was film? that that was in eight, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, okay, so she has been. So in she it has before, been. Yeah, she's never as a, as big a focus True. as in. I didn't mind like the the scene with uh, the daughter in the the diner was fine because mm. it's played mm-hmm. for laughs. And but she's then, lovely. Yeah, and she's great. But the, I don't have a problem with him having a daughter. But it's the end, of, like that scene at the end where he's introducing the daughter to his to the grandmother, and he's just like we don't care like we don't care it's not that kind of film like these are not real like characters yeah. this is ridiculous stop trying to make us feel emotions because yeah. it's just like I don't care I mean it, <laughs> that's a good point yeah I have questions I have questions about that opening sequence not the one with uh, Vanessa Kirby are we actually talking about this film now yeah we are a little bit Okay, I have I, notes, Chris. No, 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 this, this is fine. This is good. But I'm just, what I was trying to do initially was I was trying to set into context oh, why we're doing Fast, Ampersand, Furious, Colon, Hobbs, Ampersand, Shaw, and now, and we haven't done the other ones. Pulling the curtain back is because we did, there were no director interviews and we tend to only to do spoiler specials if we have director interviews to hang them on. And we never did for yeah. the, the previous ones, which, which, I think, which is a shame. But Yeah, Justin Lin certainly went straight from one film into another on a couple yeah. of occasions, didn't he? So he, his, yeah. his availability was very limited. Absolutely. So, But this time we got David Leach, so we thought, you know what, let's, let's give yeah. it a go. Let's have a chat about it and then try and put our, our, our appreciation of and uh, unabashed love of mm. Fast Five, in my case and your case uh, as well, uh, into some sort of perspective for we talk about this movie and before we talk about this movie I think we have to talk about the characters and why we're why this is a movie focusing on these two characters one of whom was introduced only in Fast Five one of whom was introduced at the tail end of Fast Six and was a bad guy yeah the baddest guy this, this I mean I've talked about this I think I talked about this when we when we reviewed Fast Eight Eight which was my my big issue with making every freaking bad guy a hero or anti-hero at some point. And he had such an effective bad guy introduction, not just in that tiny little snippet at the end of six, but in that opening scene of seven where you basically pan through a hospital and you see a whole bunch of let's be really generous and call them knocked out people, but they were totally dead, right? (laughs) And you see all of these people. He has left an entire trail of destruction just so he can go and talk to his comatose brother. And now we're meant to believe he's a good guy. And it was such a good introduction for a baddie. I don't understand. Why are we doing this? Yeah, I don't don't get it either. Personally, that is absolutely what I live for with the Fast and Furious (laughs) series. That it (laughs) is the most ludicrous soap opera where nothing can be unwritten. Characters can die and come back with amnesia. Uh, (laughs) The good guy is the bad guy. The bad guy becomes the good guy. It's this... The one rule is that there is no rule. There is no consistency with these characters. And that's kind of what I love about it because you, like you said, it's that weird kind of chemistry where it completely, to an extent, takes itself seriously and also doesn't take itself seriously at all. And it's that kind of silly, overblown blockbuster, overblown storytelling that I think is part of the fun for me that I just know I I can come into a new one of these films and go... I don't know who's going to be the good guy or the bad guy this time. It's probably not going to make sense, and that's part of the fun. Yeah, that's really well put. I mean, if at the end of this film they had just got into a rocket and gone, right, our next mission's in space, <laughs> uh, Idris is on Mars, better get going. Like, you wouldn't yeah, even, yeah, sure. no part of you would go, that doesn't make sense. You'd just go, yeah, sure, of course they are. No, I know, but I just, I'm, they will but go I do to know space. what you mean as well, because space, yeah. it is kind of weird and icky and it doesn't it, it your brain doesn't quite kind of know how to process that character mm. a little bit well, yeah. uh, sure you sure. have to you have to just completely forget everything you did in fast six and seven really and there's a large contingent of people online if you look go on twitter look at the hashtag justice for han there are yeah. some very angry people um i'm one of them yeah uh, quite frankly 
I love Han. That, that explains the justice for Han tattoo. It does. on your forehead. <laughs> it does. The important thing is that we didn't see a body with Han, but uh, the the absolute shamelessness of the retconning with, with mm. Shaw. Not least his name, because he was Ian Shaw in Fast 6, <laughs> and now he's Deckard, because they realised that's a lot better. We call him Deck. Yeah. Vanessa Kirby calls him Deck throughout. Mm. Well, she calls, Come on, Deck, leave it! His mum calls him Dex. Mm. Yeah. Vanessa Kirby calls him Deck. Yeah. Pick one. Ard. <laughs> no one calls him, no one calls him Ard. 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 Get on that. Presumably that's Luke's name for him, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing about the Shaw family, because the Shaw family's problematic as well, isn't it? Just a bit. Before we get into the film, we should discuss the Shaw family. So we have Deckard Shaw, who is one of the world's foremost military spy killy bloke things mm, like special assassinate. ops right yeah special op assassin type person so he turns up uh, yeah he absolutely so apparently right. did, was in the Italian job same character yes this film establishes so yeah. Handsome Rob may well be what's Rob, his name Deckard Shaw I don't remember <laughs> Handsome Rob but I forgot the name of the character <laughs> in the film I've just seen twice which uh, means if, and if that is the same character then that means Charlize Theron is also the same character. <laughs> what? Which means Cipher was undercover. Oh my! Goodness. Which means it means. Are you saying the director? The director might be the because the identity of the director is kept secret. David Leach wouldn't tell me who it is. Wahlberg. He says they know who it is. Uh, credited as Champ Nightingale, but you think it might be Mark Wahlberg? Oh, it's Wahlberg. It's the bit where he asks Hobbs to say hi to his mother for me, isn't it? Say <laughs> <laughs> hi giveaway. to my mother. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a dead giveaway. Because um, there's the you don't remember me, do you? I have questions about that. You we'll don't remember me, do you? We'll come. We'll come back because I got theory. Okay. We think we've all. Got got theories okay. uh, Inspector Gadget here's, voice. here's my theory they don't know who it is <laughs> I'm genuine I asked David Leach said do you know who it is oh. and he went yeah of course we know who it is I don't oh, think I've they got, do I've got theories we'll come back to that at the okay, end okay. I think All right. okay let's talk about the shows first of all so, 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 so Deckard is problematic because his first appearance is he kills possibly the franchise's most beloved character okay um, although we never see a body so I don't think he's dead I think they'll bring him back somehow but then there's Owen Shaw uh, Owen Shaw's problematic as well, isn't he? Because he was the the full-on bad guy of, of number six. Mm-hmm. He's mentioned briefly in this movie. We mm-hmm. see a flashback. There's a young Owen Shaw. Yeah, he's running behind the <laughs> other two. How are these people all the same age? <laughs> What's going on? There's like, it's yep. literally 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, right? Yeah. Roughly. Jason Statham is, what, 51? <laughs> it's 52. We looked at it before. Okay, yeah. Jason Statham's 52. Vanessa Kirby is, what? 31. 31. We looked this up, yeah. I don't just know that. That'd okay. Be so there's 21 years between them. And there's a bit. There's a bit in the film where he goes. He goes. Oh, you remember when we were running around as kids? I was thinking, what when you were 30 and she was eight? Well, my uh, my theory is that she's in her sort of mid to late 40s, <laughs> and she just she's just taking really good care of herself because that would explain why she is romancing the Rock. <laughs> like, yeah, like, which has made me feel a bit. Your alarm yeah. bells must go. You, you have a big thing, don't you, about uh, I, yeah. age differences and age gaps? I don't know if it's, it's, it's not like it's not an alarm, but like I have a couple of friends who have much older spouses and who are very happy. But what what? Yeah, until those older spouses die my, first, and you know it's inevitable, and then leave them with you know twenty years of, of misery. Cool, cool. Um, but no, fun. what what kind of um, gets me is the normalization of this idea that every once a male star certainly passes forty every love interest he has will be sort of 15 years younger. I actually, just for, for other reasons, look back at Tom Cruise's love interest over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Now, Cameron Diaz was the closest to him in age. That was 11 years. And from then, his love interests have gotten younger and younger. 
mm. while he has gotten older and older. His average age gap with between him and a co-star now is over 18 years. So he would have been in college when mm. they were born. And to me, that's just creepy. And I don't feel like we as a society should normalise it because I feel like it's, um, it's problematic in loads of ways in terms of the sort of yeah. resulting sort of fetishization of youth in women and not men. So I just don't like it as a normalization thing. Obviously, there are individual instances mm. of it where, if, whatever, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. But like 21 years, guys. Well, sometimes it doesn't stand out. But I think it, it stood out in this film for mm. me because there's zero chemistry. Like when um, Jason Statham brings it up on the flight, you know, stay away from my sister. Like I thought they were joking like... I didn't think there was any romance going on there yeah. at all. Mm. And then you very is. clearly obviously want to have sex with my sister, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I just didn't. That that scene on the clifftop, I didn't, didn't like it. That that scene on the plane definitely didn't work for me. That was the first moment. I really, really enjoyed the first sort of forty-five minutes to an hour of this, and then that scene on the plane. I was just like, I think you think you're subverting this, but you're just like drawing more attention to mm. it and making it kind of creepy that you're explicitly talking about it. I think all of their banter, their sort of like insult wars went on like it felt like five minutes too long in both mm. cases both yeah. on the plane and in that office like it was just like just stop like we've established mm. that you don't like each other even though they did by the end of the last movie <laughs> coming, coming, back, coming back to Hattie quickly did anyone else notice that um, Deckard calls his sister the girl yes keep I away did. from the girl it's it made like, no when? sense when, is so it? uh, when, when he's in I think it's when he's in the car and they're escaping from the skyscraper and about to drive through the streets of Glasgow uh huh yeah, he, he says, get away from the girl. Get away from the girl, innit? That's not the way, you, like, what is, what? But there's a moment where... Oh or maybe it was in the office beforehand. There it was, was, in there was definitely It a, must yeah, be that because there's meant to be a big reveal, isn't there, to Hobbes, that Hattie is Shaw's sister. Yeah. But surely that would have been explained to him at some point. Wouldn't it have Wouldn't been it? in their files? Yeah. I don't understand how it wasn't. Like, Hattie Shaw, the alien, known associates, evil brother. Yeah. Owen Shaw, slightly Crim- less evil brother, Deckard Shaw. Criminal mum, Helen Mirren. Yeah, <laughs> who was last seen is. in New York, but is now in a prison in London for some reason. Yeah, a oh. prison with a view of Tower Bridge. <laughs> like, did you notice where that prison is? That prison has, like, the greatest view in London and it appears to be about 12 stories up because she's got a great view of the bridge and then the city of London behind it. It, People I, would kill for a few like that, and presumably in her case, have, have. done. Yeah, yeah. And and no, CIA, she was only in for four years. Though. The CIA office with the lovely view of the shard, like you yeah. can always see the shard yeah. um, from every building in a film. I, I just, yeah, the, the shards fascinate me because they mentioned Owen, but they don't really get into it. They don't really go, oh, yeah, oh, Dex, he was, oh, we thought he was a big disappointment, and we thought he betrayed and killed his entire tire unit oh you lovable rogue any but no one mentions the fact that Owen is literally a terrorist <laughs> still running around there so I just want to know the upbringing of this family mm-hmm. so you have Helen Mirren who is some sort of kind of lovable East Endersy matriarch she's got gangster. this East End gangster family yeah. a bit long you know a bit longer Friday in it and then she raises two terrorists <laughs> but one terrorist who actually isn't a terrorist because he was just yeah, he was just a bit misunderstood so when, he, great, spy. Yeah, when he killed that guy in cold blood in that street race in Tokyo it was just a, just a bit of fun wasn't it just a bit of bants and then and then as a reaction to that Hattie grew up to become a MI6 SWAT teamy type mm-hmm. badass kicky but she keeps person. in touch with her dear old mum she does she goes you know oh dear old mum love mum yeah, it's it's very strange. I do have questions about her parenting style. You're right. Although I choose not to blame her entirely. Obviously, you know, I think once you're 21, you just 
you know, have to take responsibility for yourself. So maybe yeah. that's her attitude as well. With maybe all it is. Maybe Were it we is. disappointed that Owen doesn't show up in this movie? He did show up in Fast 8, giving his brother a little bit of a hand and going, oh, a brav, you're all right. I like you now, brav, retcon. Maybe that would have been too much to explain. I don't know. I think I I was disappointed that he didn't pop up in this because with it being Shaw-centric, the name Shaw is literally in the title and he's the first Shaw that we meet and we had them back together as brothers in eight. I don't know. It felt just strange that he wasn't peppered in there somewhere, even in a very small capacity because... I don't know, was was Luke Evans too busy to be in this? Or was, did they just not write him in? Or it, it seems like a weird choice to like invent a whole new Shaw sibling. I have to say, I really liked Vanessa Kirby's character in this. I thought she was one of the most entertaining things in it. Um, but that they invent that whole new character and then don't even mention or bring in the, um, the established Shaw sibling felt like yeah. a slightly strange choice. It almost feels like they kind of forgotten about him until he showed up in Fast 8 for that brief cameo and then doesn't he just parachute away? <laughs> he just, yeah, like, I think he he's just leaps out of the, the plane. plane. Him and Statham are like in the plane and then he goes forward I think to like pilot it he or pilots something it and then, then, he, then he leaves. Then he leaves I think. Whenever Charlize Theron leaves the, uh, leaves the plane she dives out of the plane and he does something. Anyway uh but, you know, listen, if the film doesn't care about that sort of stuff, then maybe we shouldn't either and we shouldn't be going around <laughs> but, this. I mean, the film doesn't care about a lot. We had discussions yeah. last night about the timeline, which is tricksy at best. Timeline and uh, so its attitude towards geography and mm. and time. Space and, sp- and time. Time and space. The, the whole time-space continuum. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey <laughs> stuff, to quote Doctor Who, yes. um, is a mess in this film. So we see, first of all, we start with Hattie and that, Nighttime raid in London. But then presumably we actually go backwards in time to show the morning routine of Hobbes and Shaw because it's when they get to their respective nights that it must be the same night as she is injected with the what's Mm -hmm. it, okay? So then the next morning in their respective time zones, which somehow match up in a weird way, they're picked up by their respective CIA agents and then go on their adventure. But no more than 30 hours can pass Uh before they're... Um, with her in uh, the, the scientist's lab because that's when they talk about 30 hours ago. And it doesn't quite line up. And then from there, it's only 42 hours until the end of the film. And it also During which quite time they go from London yeah. to Russia yeah. and then Russia to Samoa and yeah. then wait for dawn to come. Yeah. And also in Russia, don't forget, there's a nighttime scene mm-hmm. where Sexy Lady hands over Hattie to the bad guys. But then it's, right. daylight yeah, it's daylight again. when they get on the <sighs> halo, so, can right? I, can I tell you the bit that upset me the most, uh, chronologically <laughs> speaking? So The Rock is in London yeah. and he calls his daughter who's in LA and they have yeah. a nice chat. Mm-hmm. But it's like lunchtime in London. So it'll be four in the morning so in LA. Yeah. Four in the morning, yeah. but she's there and mm-hmm. seems to be like up and it seems to be she's the same thing like The Rock, she's doing her workout yeah. already. But it's, it's the same thing when he arrives in London. Like, it takes him as long to get to the offices, as far as we see, as it does for Statham to get there from, you know, Holloway Prison or wherever. Mm. I mean, the traffic can be really bad around there. Maybe <laughs> that's that true. That's Which true. is presumably yeah. why they go to Glasgow. Yeah, for the, yeah. For the car chase. get around that traffic. So they basically, see, they pull out of the city of London, uh-huh. right? And they're immediately in Glasgow and they have a whole chase around Glasgow. And if you don't yes. believe me, the Piper Bar is visible in the background. Aye. And then they come, they, they screech to a halt 
in Greenwich, right? And then they look out through an archway <laughs> in Old Royal Naval <laughs> College in Greenwich and they can see Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> and in Piccadilly Circus, for some reason, they're broadcasting not just the BBC, yes. but a whole number of international news outlets, yes. which are now on the big screen in Leicester Square. And then they duck back in uh-huh. in Greenwich and have a conversation. Which... By the way, those news outlets have been told that Hobbs and Shaw are rogue terrorists on the run. Mm. Something that they could clarify with their agencies with a simple phone call. Hobbs could just call his agency, Locke, he could just go, that's not true. And Locke would go, he would make some sort of glib self-conscious reference and then, This is, I mean, this is actually, if you think about it, a slightly worrying thing about this film. This whole idea that the news is controlled by a shadowy agent and that it can all be... Now, we could see it as a kind of a, a positive thing that, you know, they're drawing to the attention to the fact that the news is shaped and distorted by certain groups in, this, in for example, the US. Mm. But at the same time, the idea that the news can be so completely manipulated, we shouldn't give that credence, actually. I, I mean, Spider-Man did that as well. Spider-Man had, has concerns, well, far from home with concerns about yeah. how quickly, how, how willing people are to believe anything they see. Uh, and I guess that fact is into here. People just look at the big screens and go, oh, Hobbs and Shaw are are guilty of a crime therefore therefore we, we now believe that therefore they're now public enemies number one uh, even though they can now just joint walk onto one. a joint number one yeah, important. even though they can walk onto a commercial flight and not have any yeah. but uh, under, anyone recognise them with their own two eyes under of course assumed names like Franz Gruber Franz Gruber and uh, what was the, <laughs> what was the, the name one? of the rocks the rocks um, Rock. It was a quite funny moment. I don't remember what, what it was. I don't remember. Was it Mike Hat? Mike Hat? <laughs> Mike, something like that. A Mike, uh, Mike Hat's a dog's name. Oh, of course. Yeah, mm. that makes sense. There are some bizarre segues in this. <laughs> anyway. Oh, like more bizarre segues, like yes. literal segues in Fast and Furious. Why have they not done a segue chase yet? <laughs> that's, that's a form of vehicular mayhem that they have not yet explored. They will be mining this podcast for ideas. Yeah. Do you know what? I genuinely think the reason for that is because that these films are very, very concerned with masculinity. And um, and I am fascinated. I would genuinely, I said this on Twitter, and some, some people thought I was joking. I would genuinely like a really deep philosophical dive into what those two opening sequences say about modern masculinity or ideals of modern masculinity because you've got Mm. the one guy who is um uh cooking up a beautiful omelette with some you know nice little scattered herbs and the other guy is dining raw eggs one guy going to the pub and while the other one goes to the gym and pulling his own pint yeah that was weird i I guess he's he's a a rogue man who can't be tamed one one driving uh mclaren the other one driving a pickup truck you know yeah. one in a velvet tux the other one in a They're jean jacket awful awful people I wouldn't <laughs> want to spend more than a minute with them but like I think there's a, there's a thing here there's a this, these movies have genuinely fascinating depictions of what the paragon or the ideal of modern manhood is and I just find it really really interesting because I've never met anyone like any of these people <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good, for a good point. And also going back to the idea of the idea that uh, the media can be controlled so so readily mm. as well. Was anyone else slightly concerned or even intrigued by the fact that the virus in this is called a snowflake? Uh, that feels yes. to me that's like that's weird. that's got to be. Mm. There's got to be a, another layer there mm-hmm. that you know the you know. Why didn't they call it the gammon or something? Yeah, instead? who knows? <laughs> or the farage. <laughs> 
you know. Yeah, the, the virus was also confusing. So it's a programmable disease that can kill any targeted DNA stop within 48 hours. Stop thinking about this movie, Helen. Hours. You keep saying things like, when you stop and think about it. <laughs> if you really think about it. Did it? That's true. Did that anyone else think that, that Idris Elba's motorbike said Trump on it? I kept, it did say like, Trump. Yeah. That's a type of motorbike. Yeah. But did they choose it? Was it deliberate? Oh, wait a minute. Was it, was Trump? It symbolic? Snowflake. Fake news. Mm. Is this the most right-wing blockbuster? <laughs> that bike was way smarter than Trump, yeah. it's got to be said. Yeah. It, did some, it did some really clever <laughs> yeah. things. That bike was very cool. I really like the bike. Mm. Um, I was saying just before this, I want the next one to be Fast and Furious Presents, Hobson Shaw Presents the bike <laughs> and just that bike doing stuff because it was basically a horse like it had a personality <laughs> um, oh, I think the best shot in the film is uh, Idris getting back he falls off the bike and gets back on it and one that, that shot's amazing it's kind of like magnetised to him like he goes to it but it comes mm. to him at the mm. same time he's like, a, he's like a Terminator on a Transformer Terminelba Driss yeah. Driss 1000 Terminidris <laughs> Terminator's Elba. Did, did no. anyone notice the, the Transformer-like sound effect on the helicopter? Yes, yes, yes. yes. And his bike, in fact. Right. His, bike, his bike has it as well. Mm, that was weird. The point I was yes. trying to make 25 sure. minutes ago about uh, the fake news thing and this movie's rather glib attitude to geography and time and the connection the, uh, of and thereof physics. and physics <laughs> is that so they have the car chase through London which I think is probably the film's best action sequences it's a very good car chase mm-hmm. through London slash Glasgow mm-hmm. and then they come to a halt as, as Helen was saying and then they give him the slip and he goes you want a war you got a war and then he immediately is in the Etion headquarters yeah. which are clearly not in London no. look like they're somewhere Cornwall-y Maybe Norfolk-y. Uh, I don't see, think there's you know like that in Norfolk. I think you're genuinely looking at the Celtic countries there. You're right. looking at you're looking at Wales or Scotland. So he's gone to Wales or Scotland yeah. and immediately then put the world's media and he's just gone. Oh, how many people do we own? And they go, Oh, we own sixty five newspapers. Double it. I was yeah. all right. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, immediately then they they sparked this manhunt for them, which isn't a manhunt because no one's ever hunting for them, no. which is a missed opportunity. So I just wondered where the hell he was. It just that 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 giant sort of dark sort of rock that looks volcanic yeah. to me. That's kind of you're looking at. I think Scotland or Northern Ireland. Interesting. Yeah. I have no opinion. Okay. Good. Cool. But I mean, it was so. What I don't think he's meant to be there at the same time. It's there's a time jump, right? No, because they they literally go from the end of the car chase, going, "Oh, we've given them the slip," and then they look out at the Leicester Square Piccadilly, Piccadilly yeah. Circus, and oh, they're being hunted. Right, right, it's right. it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. same. It's very quick. Huh. Yeah, it's a time huh. same time the, frame. Um, that's a very good question. How does he get there instantaneously? That is, yeah, mm. that's fair. I mean, his whole thing about um, he's another one of these villains who has kind of you know quote unquote sympathetic aims like Thanos it's like oh we're just trying to save the world from itself and I'm really 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 deeply fucking sick of this being the villain's motivation and I would quite like to see some heroes, heroes in films it. trying well. to tackle cli- climate change and that I was... know that's hard in a Fast and Furious film mm. but like wasn't that Cypher's motivation kind of in the last one even though she was going to set off a nuclear it's hard to tell <laughs> it's really hard to tell something about family I remember that yes don't know what else yes. I remember about Cultural appropriation was her big thing. And then also uh, she killed someone. She killed Elsa Pataki's character. You never see a body, so she's going to come back as well. I really liked Idris in this. I thought he was was fantastic. He absolutely Mm. got the tone of it. And I have to say, like The Rock and the Staith get the tone of it as well. I just didn't think it was as funny as it could be. I didn't think it was as over the top as it could be or as preposterous as it could have been. 
It was fun. Like they could have done more with his visual, his kind of Terminator or Terminelba um, kind of <laughs> like his vision. It just seemed to do the same thing. Yeah. Fist coming, dodge. It's <laughs> yeah. like your brain can do that. Well, you don't need a little screen to tell you that. But um, you know, I, I, I really liked him in this film. I mean, yeah. if you're going to cast someone to go up against these two guys, there's not many people who could do it. Yeah, and yeah. he does. Yeah, he is convincing. And I really enjoyed that the film. <laughs> um, I just really enjoyed that the whole message of this two and a half hour film is that um, it, when you team up with someone, you're stronger than when you're on your own. <laughs> and it's treated like this massive bombshell. These two guys go, "Hang on a minute." <laughs> yeah. If we both punch him. <laughs> So, like, two two punch better than one punch. Yeah. It's it's genuinely it's treated like the next step in human evolution where they figure that out and it's like hang on we'll both punch him. But I, I really enjoyed that final slow mo punch up. It was just it was glorious. It was absolutely glorious. I love because um, I've listened to the David Leach interview already. That David Leach saying Spoilers. that uh, they uh, obviously filmed that partly in slow mo, but also it was the actors acting <laughs> slow mo <laughs> to each other, which just makes it even better. Oh. I can't wait to see it again just to look out for the slow mo acting. <laughs> I think I may have paid homage to slightly ripped off Garth Marenghi. Did I say something about did you try and keep the, dia- the slow motion away from dialogue where possible? Okay, yeah. Good. <laughs> so, phew. That's a Garth Marenghi reference in case anyone's listening to that and going, he just ripped off Garth Marenghi. No, yeah. I knew what I was doing. So, there, but I just I couldn't did, remember whether I was. I, I, did, I did laugh because there's a few like slow mo punches and then it cuts to just <laughs> The Rock doing a slow mo headbutt. <laughs> just, yes, it's glorious to watch. It was amazing. It takes so long to get to the head. Between that and Captain Marvel nutting Thanos, it's been a great summer for headbutting. It's been a great summer for headbutting. It's been a great summer for Greg's. Oh my God, the Uh, Men in Black International. And it's been a great summer for flamethrowers. And um, if you've seen Mm -hmm. the trailer for Once More Time in Hollywood, there is some flamethrowing in that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I wonder if it's the same one. There's just some guy who's just got a little flamethrower shop and he's like, yes! Eddie Eddie Marzan in this is a lot of fun. And uh, he's fast becoming a kind of lucky charm for David Leach, as indeed... We'll talk about the cameos in a second, but uh, I, I really liked Eddie Marson. I was really bummed when he got his neck broken by, by Brixton. Yeah. Just oh, unceremoniously. He's like, oh, he's running around with a flamethrower, you know, getting, you know, just going, letting, letting off some steam. And suddenly he's just, oh, well, well, he's dead then. <laughs> what a way to go, though. Mm. I mean, is it? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Having your neck snapped by Mankle Brixton while you're wielding a flamethrower, <laughs> that's the way I want to go. <laughs> Mm. Uh, but I like Brixton, and if anyone pays attention to, to Big Driss and his long-running involvement with Sky adverts, advert for Sky, it's isn't it fun that finally he is playing a man who does indeed believe in better? And I just thought that was oh god, that was nice. Why? Why? This why? is a genuine question because the, the Brixton thing is just such a fun, silly name. But why didn't they? Why didn't they call him Hackney? Because like Hackney is Idris's. That's right. Yeah, that would yeah, be Hackneyed. <laughs> when has that ever been a problem with Fast and Good Furious? Point. Good point. And Good he point. does have an impressive arsenal. He does. Mm. He does. No, but you can't mm. call the character Arsenal Law. You could. You, you could. Arsenal I, Law sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, I would, I would watch a show called Arsenal Law tomorrow. <laughs> that sounds incredible. He could have had a girlfriend called Mary Labone. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be as funny. That would be, that would be terrible. That I know. Good. His girlfriend, of course, was the searingly hard. Is it Margarita? Who? Shaw. Uh, Shaw's girlfriend, yeah. Margarita, yeah. Or girlfriend, maybe, putting it strong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hook up. That was weird as well. She was yeah. sort of lingerie model stroke arms dealer. Yeah, a fabulous lingerie, actually. I loved it. But uh, it was a weird digression, because I'm pretty sure that was the same house. It looked like the same house, but CG'd, that they shot Austin Land in, which is a rom-com. And I think they also maybe used in first class as the Russian base. 
It uh, did look familiar, it yes. It yes. similar to that. Yeah, it did. Um, so I think it's not the first time they've played Russian. It's a very... Uh, there's so many questions. I have mm. so many questions. Like, for yep. example, the... <laughs> The, the nuclear question mark power plant that they go to in the Ukraine, uh-huh. like, did, was that originally called Chernobyl and then they just kind of chickened out when the TV show came out and people, like, you know, I don't know. understood like, how terrible that disaster was again? Good Day to Die Hard, trans- a Transformers movie, yeah. they all, all, all had access to like, Chernobyl. But, like, there was this, like, blasted area around it. There was the sort of ruined city that they, they chat in at the end where she's going, oh, you should kill me, and they're going, no, we'll go to Samoa. Like, it's, you know, there's it looked kind of like it was meant to at least evoke Chernobyl, even if it wasn't Sorry, the place I just love that. You should kill me. No, we'll go to Samoa. <laughs> we'll have a great time. <laughs> I mean, it did look gorgeous, but apparently that was Hawaii we were looking at, not Samoa. So. The, um, the power plant um, sequence was the main one that didn't work for me. Me too, yeah. The, the, the London chase is great. The stuff at the end uh, with yeah. the, all the chain of cars and the helicopters really fun. But that one in the middle, <laughs> it felt like the scale it, was off if the whole point was scaling it down a bit from some of the other Fast and Furious stuff. It felt like a bit of an identikit fast sequence that didn't have the impact yeah. of, of the others. David Leach is a brilliant action director. He's established his credentials already. Atomic Blonde, for example, yes, he has um, one of the guys who is in Atomic Blonde in that incredible, and it's not one take, but it's that seven minute long fight sequence that is in one single shot between um, Charlize Theron and Daniel Bernhardt, who's kind of a, again, a lucky charm. And I think he's one of David Leach's long term stunt guys. And he's in this movie as well. Um, but there's nothing like that. There's nothing like any of the action scenes in John Wick. There's nothing like mm. any of the action scenes, even in Deadpool 2, I would say. Yeah, a couple of um, Statham's fights were pretty good. I am beginning... I did like the fight in the Hattie's apartment. Yeah, I did too. That was good. I, I, I feel like we're beginning to actually recognise some of their stunt guys because um, yes. Leith and Stahelski obviously have their team that they they use regularly. And because they're now directors as well, they'll sometimes give them like a face shot in, so you lines even properly? Yeah, yeah, lines even, yeah. So um, I'm not at the point where I'm like, oh yeah, I know you, you're in John Wick. I, I wonder if it's part of the whole PG-13 thing because one of the things that makes the fight scenes in something like John Wick or Atomic Blonde so effective is that extra sense of impact, that real oof, oof mm. and, and that comes from the way it's shot and the sound effects. And you could feel in this that they were giving them good choreography, but I think the intensity that you get from them really being whacked about maybe just isn't, permissible in a PG-13 or in a 12A in the way that mm. you can get away with that in a 15. And I admired that it's it's halfway there that you could introduce younger audiences to that kind of like well-choreographed fight scene without having to cut around it, but it felt like it didn't quite have the oomph that something like John Wick has. That's mm. fair. I think that's fair. I like to I like the action sequences when they had like it when they just had something fun going on like the wacky races stuff at the end where all the the cars I mean on the clifftop mm. that's great. The um the running down the building I really enjoyed, even though it would have killed the rock. Yeah, I I mean, several times over, several times over. Why was that little elevator? And there were like six guys on the roof. You know, why weren't they? You know, Mm. somewhere useful doing stuff. It was very confusing. Yeah, but the the Chernobyl or not Chernobyl scene didn't really work for me because it didn't have any sort of fun to it. It didn't have any kind of real personality. It felt to me like a cross between the opening of Kingdom and the Crystal Skull, and uh, there's Mm. a scene in like the last Michael Bay Transformers film with drones Mm. and stuff. It felt a bit like that, but Mm. was too big. And I don't know, I got quite, I checked out mentally during that. But. I, I did have a lot of questions about the relative horsepower of a helicopter and some trucks <laughs> with nitro. And, I, you know, I was, again, I just get caught up on these things. I also had a question about in, the, in that mm. not power station, whatever scene, 
So they go in through the two doors for yes. reasons. And and but what is what is the purpose of that room? Because you've got all of these guys on one side of the wall looking through a window at another guy fixing a car. <laughs> I just I, again we I, are in a room at the moment, and we have a window there looking into a a, an empty room, and another window there looking at some lockers. So maybe you just put a bunch of guys in here, and you put one guy in there, and he's doing something and uh-huh. that's what maybe but, they were recording why, a podcast why do you have to have people on either side to open the door like that doesn't seem like what if the guy who's <laughs> it was the most secure garage the <laughs> it's like you need like yeah. ocular ID to get through the door so the guy's and, and just o- fixing a car like, yeah. and only one guy as well yeah and so so Sean by the way I, that was my, one of my favourite sequences in the film even though the first t- trailer really ruined it for us by showing pretty mm. much that entire sequence but uh, I, I just love the safe is so good and he's so agile and so athletic and I just think you know maybe you could give him his head a little bit more in, in fights like this uh, but the idea that only one guy's face can unlock the door means it must be a real bummer for those guys when he's <laughs> off sick where's yeah. Jeff? Yeah, oh, he's, 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 sick, he's sick again oh, we're <laughs> trapped in this room now. what you don't see is that behind the scenes they're all trying to unionise because this guy can never take holiday because then no one can get through the door <laughs> and they can't allow that will no one think of the hench persons yeah, yeah you know? have a Jeff's time. wife's pregnant he wants to go spend time with her but he can't we because then provide <laughs> for his family it all links into family he's just trying to protect oh and, and fund yeah. his family and then of course they're all waiting for him at the other side of the at the other side of the door mm. then they have the electric shock sequence which I thought could have been funnier as well maybe mm-hmm. their quips back to, to Brixton could have been could have been a little bit better but that's the point isn't it where Brixton says I'm black Superman and I don't know that there are many actors in this world who could have pulled that off yeah. as well as, as Idris uh, in that moment I, I, I buy it I'm not sure it needed to be repeated twice more by The Rock after that. <laughs> he was really <laughs> impressed by that line. He, was, he, he, was, that he was like line. writing that down. Yeah. He's this Samoan Captain America. That doesn't make sense. Captain, Captain Samoa. Samoa. Captain Samoa. Yeah. He, he could be the Samoan Superman. Yeah. yeah. The Stath can be the... Stratum Stratt- Superman. Stratum Superman. <laughs> Except, you know, Stratt- Brixton is... You know, yeah. Yeah. Brixton's already the London Superman, so, you know, I don't know. Hmm. So this, postcode, this postcode is too big for those guys. And they got four shocks each, so an average man is supposed to be dead after three, right? They get four. We've and got lots of evidence these are not average men. No, I know, but it doesn't like slow them, slow them down. I want to see at the beginning of the next movie, they're in getting like an MRI to check for damage to their hearts after being <laughs> shocked four times. Slowly cooked from inside. Because the, um, Yeah, I mean, The Rock is in great shape. Uh, you know, Stafe is drinking champagne. He's having pints of beer. Like, I don't know if he's you know and speaking of the pints of beer at the end in one of the many post credit stings that doesn't seem to not amount, um, that doesn't seem to amount to anything um, they're both wearing exactly the same tracksuit did you notice that I, 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 I don't no the, the rock takes his jacket off to then you know do whatever he does but he they, they literally in that scene where he calls him up and he's, he's set him up to be arrested in the pub they're wearing the same tracksuit and I I I don't know if there's a story there, if there was a thing there that was going to be done, but it's really mysterious. I feel like it's part of the journey of the film that at the beginning they're wearing, <laughs> they're living different lives, wearing different outfits, and by the end, after their hive mind sort of wow. um, yeah. brainwave moment of let's punch them together, then they're like, <laughs> now let's wear the same clothes. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> okay, <laughs> they're making okay. bunk beds, <laughs> yeah. doing all it. kinds of activities. Did you like the scene where they rock tea bags the state's drum kit? I also liked when they were comparing the Chewbacca masks. I enjoyed the sting where they sang the Rubber Ducky song (laughs) to him. And I didn't expect the final reel where they go to the fucking Catalina wine mixer. Oh man. Fucking Catalina wine mixer. Fucking Catalina wine mixer. It's a fucking Catalina wine mixer. 
Oh, that would have been that would have been a much better ending than the one that because the film kind of just kind of stops. Mm. I mean, I, I, I was, was kind of relieved. <laughs> to be honest, it was two hours twenty minutes. But I wonder if they I, could have had another reprise of the Hobbs and Shaw waking up in different time zones, but showing how they they've been changed oh, and perhaps okay. the Rock has a pint. He yeah drinks some eggs and and then, and, and the Stath reads Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah, they have eggs together. Or get someone to read him Nietzsche, which is oh what. Oh, that's vicious. I meant the character. The Stath can read. All right, so... I'm not the That'd be amazing if he's, gonna... if he's signing up for... He can't read the scripts, but he's just signing up or guessing <laughs> on, like, judging by the title. It, w- it, would expi- it would explain lines like, war is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I'm a, I am not in any way, shape or form su- suggesting that Jason Statham cannot read. Good. I would not, as my own lawyer. Yeah, thanks. I would not do that. I've taught you one thing at least. Should we talk about my great Infinity War theory? Yes. It's yes. going to be me just saying it and then you guys no, just being quiet and then talking about something else. Any excuse to talk about Avengers Infinity War? <laughs> it occurred to me at the tail end of this enormously long <laughs> film when they got to Samoa that there are parallels with Infinity War. Okay. Oh. They both like them, but they, they both, so uh, both films, the heroes have to make a last stand. <laughs> yeah. They have to go to an exotic uh, country. <laughs> yeah, hot country. Where one of their allies has something extracted from them and the clock Ooh. is ticking and they have to stall for time by fighting uh, an army with superior uh, firepower. Whoa. I'm not it, saying oh Samoa is Wakanda, but I am saying that. Do you know what? I genuinely do think that there's a big parallels to, for example, Captain America's films in here also. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have oh, yeah, that the, whole uh, swinging yeah. around the um, the bike to get back on it, which mm-hmm. Bucky did in Civil War. You have someone literally saying on your left, hello, <laughs> that's a copyright phrase now. You have someone like grappling with a, a helicopter with one. You have someone like, holding, holding a helicopter, a helicopter yeah. in their hands, which again, I have so many questions <laughs> about. Um yeah, it's basically... Do you know like that America. scene where Dwayne Johnson was getting to grips with a massive chopper? You know what? The, the problem for me with the scene was he didn't adjust his grip like Cap did. Oh, uh, okay. You know, when he flipped it around and flexed That's the other it. muscle instead. I did enjoy that there's an entire little sequence where uh, The Rock puts his T-shirt back on. Yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> it Why? It's, like, it's like the most critical moment in an action scene and it's a little montage, a little scene where he's like putting his T-shirt back on, which presumably was like a continuity thing. Mm. Like maybe they filmed the, the T-shirt stuff first and then they did the him oiled up and shirtless and then they were like, hang on, we need to do a reshoot where he's putting a t-shirt on. why would they be bothered about that when the final <laughs> sequence it starts at, at sunrise and then there's a day that lasts about five minutes and then it's nighttime and then it's raining it's and then it's daytime storm. and sunset it's a waterfall isn't it it's, it's the island will provide brother and it, it provided yeah. it does go it does weather. go from the middle of the night to to full blue sky suns out and and there's a countdown so there's no time trickery it's literally five minutes of real time we, we uh, do see the sun crazy. rising, though. We, we do. We do see that. Like, so it's, no, it's crazy. It's crazy enough that I scribbled a lot of yeah. notes about it. I was like, "What the hell's happening? Like, what?" Yeah. I mean, the rain. I guess you can buy that it's suddenly uh, a storm, but mm. I think it's a waterfall. I don't. I don't think it's a storm. I it's think a it's a waterfall. Both, I think you think, yeah, because um, I guess you do see a storm coming in, don't you? Storm. Storm's coming, any better get home quick. Um, all right, so let's bring this bad boy home, which I'm sure is a phrase that was said on the set of this movie quite a lot. Uh, let's talk about the cameos. In this film, mm. it's kind of where I started with David Leach, but let's 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 talk about it now. Uh, so the first one is Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Uh, Ryan Reynolds as uh, Wade Will. Ryan Reynolds as himself. Ryan Reynolds as Locke. What do we think of that? I mean, he's has he become Deadpool? <laughs> I do wonder. The line between the two of them is is now it's just a it's a best. blur. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was fun. 
I, I, I felt like he was from a different movie, namely Deadpool, but um, <laughs> or maybe but I enjoyed Detective it. Pikachu at a stretch. You know what? I think they used the same building in Detective Pikachu, so that kind of makes a certain amount of sense. Basically, he filmed these two cameos on his lunch breaks from Michael Bay's <laughs> genuinely uh, Six Underground and and Sean Levy's Free Guy. So he did he did both of those appearances, one clean shaven, one not clean shaven, uh, as favors to David Leach. Uh, and sounds like we may at some point be seeing Locke return to the mm. to the Fast and Furious movies. Well, so we have this whole post credit, mid credit, I forget, Sting, where he's fighting bad guys and. There's another virus, which seems kind of boring. Sounds like he's making that up, though, doesn't it? Does it? Is he? Okay, so there's no connection to anything else, and all of those post-credits were a waste of time. Yes. Position. Okay, fine. I mean, you know, there was some funny stuff, stabbing a guy with a brick. Sure. Cool. (laughs) I just, mm, Mm. you know, I... I I didn't love either of them, to be honest. It feels like you got two a Lethal Weapon sequel with two Joe Pesci's. You don't need both of those characters. They're both doing the same thing, right? The Kevin Hart character and the Ryan Reynolds character. They're literally doing the same thing. They're both awed by the two heroes and they're trying to be cool. Also, I don't think that's how air marshals work. Like, I don't think if you're an air marshal, you have access to any flying machine. No, but he does because he was one of the warlocks. Definitely, that seems true. He can get you anything, man. Yeah. Anything. As long as it's a a plane that flies from Russia I wasn't, to Samoa. I wasn't sure if we were meant to believe that at Ukraine. all. Um, you know, when he first says it and he's talking about the warlocks and they're a bit like, that's not how the warlocks talk. And, I yeah. thought he was bluffing yeah, I thought personally, was but then he did have access to all kinds of, uh, he was offering them all kinds of like helicopters and planes and stuff. Um, I preferred Kevin Hart to Ryan Reynolds. I'll be honest. I do like Ryan Reynolds a lot. I think he's a very funny man. That character didn't quite work. I didn't really understand him, mm. to be honest. Like it sort of seemed like he was a doofus, mm. but then he was... There was a big pile of bodies at the end, so he's actually lethal and amazing yeah. at what he does. Yeah. In which case, why does he... I why does he I need to re- send the rock in when he could send himself in? Why is the CIA sending someone who works for the DSS? Uh, why do they take over the rock's cases? Why does the DSS send the rock in? That's all right. Who I mean, is it's... Shaw working for? Who does what? number two work for? I enjoyed this film, but it seems like we have a lot of questions. And... Yeah. Anyway, but I, I, I thought I thought the Ryan Reynolds cameo was was funny in, in as much as it went. And if you you know, as I suspect it was the case, they didn't have a, a lot of script there, and they just let it kind of wind him up and let him go. And he's a very very funny guy. You're going to get good results. Same with Kevin Hart. Uh, do I need to see either of those characters again? No. No. Will we? Yes. But, it felt like a fun bonus, didn't it? It's like, you came to see the Fast and Furious film. Here's all the Fast and furious things. We'll give you a couple of minutes of Ryan Reynolds freewheeling and just saying funny things for a couple of minutes. It's just like a little mm. little bonus extra yeah. sprinkled throughout. And you can see why, with maybe just a day to shoot that scene, that they do fall upon. There's familiar patterns and those familiar rhythms, and that he does end up basically just being Deadpool in the middle of a Fast and Furious movie. You know, maybe given more time, they'd have maybe had something more original there but I, I enjoyed it I've got a question okay just a quick question so if Game of Thrones exists in the Fast and Furious universe <laughs> who plays Missandei <laughs> oh no this we've, is, gone, we've gone into this this, we've is, like, this, world. Yeah. this is like Endgame and the time travel movies uh, all over again isn't mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. Uh, also is this the first film that spoils Game of Thrones for 12 year olds I was thinking that mm. it's not been that long since that final season aired that, yeah, that's a dick move. Drop, drops final episode shit. Yeah, he really does. He really does. 
bit of a shame. It, it felt like the Game of Thrones stuff could have been a bit cleverer, I'll be honest. It felt a bit like, hey, Game of Thrones is cool, so we'll just mm-hmm. say something about it. It didn't feel like, you know, they had anything particularly clever to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why say it? I, I like, though, what you were saying about the fact that they obviously filmed both of his cameos at different points, and he must have improved the stabbing with a brick thing in the first bit. And then they were like, yeah, we could do that. When you film your second one, we'll have a guy and we'll make a little stabby brick. Yeah. Uh, like that, that, that's, that's, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. There are worse people you can get to improv their way, your way through a movie than, than Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, uh, but I also, I, I have to say, I want more Rob Delaney. I was yeah. delighted to see Rob Delaney in this movie. Yeah, his and, face just makes me smile. Oh, he's just such a fun guy. Such best. a great guy. And um, disappointed that he wasn't wearing his Peter m- uh, mustache. Yeah. Mustache. Mustache. But uh, yeah, uh, good to see him in this as well. And we should talk about the, the cameo that we can't talk about because we don't really know who it is. But the director of Etion, the absolute bullshit organization that they've made up at the last minute. Um, and it's nothing to do with Eton, is it? Like, doesn't not, seem to be, no. It's not Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, I could believe it. Okay, so we, should we throw out some theories? Do it. Okay. Do you guys have theories as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like mine will be debunked because if it was this obvious, they would have just had her in the film. But Charlize Theron, Cypher, all the way through, I was going, surely this is just Cypher because they set her mm. up as the big, big bad in in Fast 8, who survives Fast 8, who we uh, understand will be back in Fast 9. This helps tie it back into the wider Fast universe. But again, like Charlize Theron has a lot of things going on, but also has a sort of history with David Leach through Atomic Blonde. And if he can get Ryan Reynolds to do five minutes, I don't believe that he couldn't get Charlize Theron for five minutes. Yeah. So mm. if, if it was her, I feel like it would have been revealed. But I spent the whole film going like, why are they doing this orange voice thing when it's clearly just Charlize Theron? Mm. But okay. yeah, maybe that's right. not the case. Okay. I've got two theories. Bring them. One is Vin Diesel. Ooh. <laughs> he's pissed off. They're doing their own thing. They've not invited him along, so he's going to F them up. Mm-hmm. The second one, Han Solo. What is the biggest? What is the biggest shock you could have? That would be amazing. What is the biggest shock you could have? That because of what I was saying before about it being a mad soap opera, Han yeah. being back from the dead yep. and also being evil would oh, be no. the kind of incredible double, double yep. whammy twist that I'm all about. But because he's, he was like the most chilled man in the world. Well, you would be, and then Jason Statham comes along and blows shock. you up, and then you're not so happy. Because anymore. Chris Morgan uh, was interviewed very recently and said uh, they are definitely addressing that whole Han thing. That it's not gone away. They're gonna. They're gonna. <laughs> they're going to finish that storyline. Uh-huh. He has promised. So Han, in some way, they're going to wrap that up. Now, the only way they can kind of wrap it up and have you is to reveal that, that Deckard Shaw had some kind of reason to do what he did. But he's not allowed to reveal it yet. So, <laughs> so this is my... Come on. What? So hang on, hang on, hang on. So hang on, Han hang on, was okay. secretly evil. Or, or, or. What? More likely is a clone. And uh, that at is some more point, likely. the good and the evil Hans got switched, and the good Han is imprisoned by the evil Han. Because you do need Hans. Who's dead? <laughs> that, it's, actually, that makes perfect sense for this franchise, the way it's going with superhumans and all sorts of stuff. You know where the real good Han is? Space. Oh my god. <gasps> oh my god, this is like the Dark Phoenix saga where the real Han has been the real Han has been placed uh-huh. in some kind of container at the bottom of the ocean. Yes. And when the fake 
phoenix hand, the bad hand, uh-huh. is defeated on yep. the moon by a watcher yes. and Cyclops, uh-huh. probably, yes. I guess. I don't know. This may have gotten away from me no, slightly. No, let's throw it in. Okay. Yeah. Then the real hand will re-emerge from the cocoon. I'm with you, like a phoenix. Yeah, with no memory of who he yeah. was. And then he'll get married to Cyclops under a different uh, this name. This is all making sense to me. And this then there'll be the whole goblin saga. Oh my God, yeah. this is going to yeah. be amazing. Or Han is on Mars. He's the Martian. He's trapped there. He's on his own. He's eating poo potatoes. And he's waiting for Vin Diesel <laughs> and The Rock to go and rescue him. Let's examine this hand theory for a second because it actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. But what you're saying is that in Fast and Furious 6 and Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, that Han is killed by Deckard Shaw because Deckard Shaw is taking him out because he's an evil person, which is which would be contrary to everything we've seen about that character. Okay, so here's the other thing. That does kind of make sense in a way. Maybe not the killing him because he's evil, but he kills him because he is trying to wipe out Dom Toretto's team. I can't believe we're discussing in such detail. But anyway, he's trying to wipe out Dom Toretto's team. He starts with Han, but he doesn't kill him. Everyone thinks Han is dead, but Han, with badly disfigured, has to nurse himself back to health, and goes a little bit insane, a little bit doolally, and targets... Builds up this corporation, Etion, with presumably his injury at the workplace compensation that he, that he won. Um, you know, have you received an injury at the workplace? I would say being grenaded by Jason Statham <laughs> in a race counts. An, an illegal drag race on the streets of Tokyo. Technicalities. Uh-huh. Totally fine. Uh, no win, no fee, remember, Helen? That's so, not how that... So he uses his money from injurylawyersforyou.com. Other injury lawyers are available and builds Etion up over a period of years because here's the thing guys Fast 4 mm-hmm. Fast 5 and Fast 6 all take place before Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift Whoa. okay so then there's a time gap presumably between Fast 6 and Fast 7 and 8 for reasons and that gives Han <laughs> the opportunity to build up Etion and to recruit Brixton say maybe 6 or 7 years and therefore Han is going to be revealed as a baddie, but of course he's not really a baddie. He's really a goodie. I see no flaws there. <laughs> I, I, think no holes. I think Nick's nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Gosh. Helen, what's your, what's your theory? I didn't really have an independent theory. <laughs> no. I was listening to it and going, well, that's presumably Charlize. But then the whole, you, what was the line? Um, you don't remember me, do you? You don't mm. remember me, do you? Although he kind of says that to the rock rather than the stafe. And if that's it was Han, you'd think he'd be saying something to the stafe. Yeah. But maybe yeah. they thought that would give it away. But, I'm just saying. But also, I'm not even sure that Charlize Theron had much to do with... Mm. I, I, she had a name. Cypher had much to do with The Rock, did she? I don't remember her actually... She had a name, but not a character. No, Hence the name. Not untrue. Um, I don't remember her having a scene with him, did she? It's very hard to tell. It's it's really... Even, yeah. if, if, I remember a submarine. It, did, did The Rock have a scene with Vin Diesel in that movie? It's very hard to tell. Who knows? Are we sure it's, they know who that character is? I don't think they do. I wonder if it's like, because it wasn't there, there was a hint at the end of the first Sherlock Holmes movie that there was Moriarty coming and people were speculating about who Moriarty was going to be and mm. they knew who it was going to be and it was maybe going to be Brad Pitt or whatever. I don't think they knew. And then that gave them the freedom to then cast Jared Harris. Mm. But there's someone who clearly is providing that voice, Champ Nightingale, according to the credits, but whether that's the person Champ that it's actually going to be. Nightingale. Because let's examine this forensically, shall we? Mm. We might as well. We've come this far. <laughs> I can't believe we've spent this long talking about this movie. But anyway, I thought this would be a tight 45. Uh, So 
the director says they have a history with Hobbes and Hobbes doesn't recognise him. Of course he wouldn't fucking recognise him. It's a voice mm, distortion thing. thing. <gasps> Maybe it's the killer in Scream. Uh-oh. It's Ghostface. Here's my theory. It's Eva Mendes. Oh! <laughs> what? I like it. Let's go with that. She'd be a fantastic villain. At the end of Fast Five, mm-hmm. it is revealed that Hobbs is working with Eva Mendes' mm-hmm. character from Too Fast, Too Furious, mm-hmm. whose name I can't remember. But I mean, uh, we've been calling Charlize Charlize, so let's call true. Eva let's Eva. Just, let's just go over it. And, um, and that's never followed up on. Whoa. Yeah? Yeah. And he would remember his partner, Elsa Pataki, yeah. because he worked with her for years and yeah. saved her life uh, and whatnot. So he'd remember her. But he might not remember Eva Mendes' character because they only worked together that one time or something. That we know of, yeah. yeah and and she was very well-dressed for a mirror, whatever agent she was. Yes. Tobacco, was she tobacco on But presumably she was working for DSS at that point. So DSS, maybe something sure. happened. Uh, she raised a complaint with the HR. Didn't get acted upon. She left the company. And became head of a major corporation. Used a settlement to form Etion, teaming her, up with Han. And her death and cult of evolution. Obviously. Evolution. If I, listen, if I, oh my God. You've broken Nick has broken so wide open. If I made a lot of money from PPI or like injury lawyers for you, like if one of you punched me right now because this podcast has gone on far too so fucking long. long and we should end it right now. <laughs> And I sued and I got a lot of money. The first thing I would do was invest in a superhuman uh, mm-hmm. army of, of highly evolved people from Hackney, but call them Brixton. That's what I would do. <laughs> That's mm. what you would do. That's the first thing I would do. So if anyone's out there listening, please ensure that Chris does not win a large amount of money in either workers' comp <laughs> or at the lottery because yeah. um, he will waste it all. There we go. Could be Luke Evans. Could be. Could be Luke Kurt Evans. Russell. Yes, <gasps> Mr. Oh, Nobody. Yeah. He's mentioned, but he doesn't appear. Why does he not appear? Because he's in, he's, he's in Cornwall in a secret lair, apparently. <laughs> I don't think, I don't believe that Mr. Nobody will betray uh, whichever organisation he works for <laughs> <laughs> so readily as to start working for Etion. But I could learn to accept it if we got basically Stuntman Mike versus the Fast and Furious crew. Uh, yes, it would be, yes. <laughs> but are they, yeah, are their cars death proof? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I they, mean, all, they, they all are. are. Yeah. <laughs> if you've seen any of the other ones, yes, the cars are all death proof. <laughs> Except for Chazelle's. Oh my god! Oh, in fairness, she fell off a big plane. In fairness, onto the world's longest runway, and again, <laughs> we didn't see a body. <laughs> well, I wish we'd spoiled that one because we actually genuinely talked to an aviation air expert to figure out how long that <laughs> runway would be, and he came up with a figure around about twenty-six miles. <laughs> the longest runway in the world, to be clear, is about two miles. Yeah, two miles. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and that's a dirt track in China. Somewhere. Well, then this would be more, wouldn't it? So I'm I'm fully on board with that. The makers um, of that runway planned for every eventuality. They really did. It could be could be Giselle. Giselle could be the shadowy figure behind Etienne. We yeah. don't know. We don't know these things. She's a much bigger star now. It would make a certain amount of sense. It would be a big old flex. It would getting be. Gal Gadot back in mm, back in be. gear. She does have an accent though. I think I would have come across. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if whoever this turns out to be is not the person who <laughs> actually gave their voice in this one. Yeah, I would I'm, not be surprised. I very much enjoy that we have spent longer thinking about the aspects of this film than oh, yeah. anyone who made it. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> and anyway, on that bombshell, unless anyone else has anything else to say about Fast Ampersand, Furious, Colon, Hobbs, Ampersand, Shaw, 
I just want to anyway. say, like, I, I okay. maybe sound well, like I've been a little bit down on it, but I did have a lot of fun with this film. There's yeah. lots of. I do you think it's too long? As not all of it landed for me, <laughs> but <laughs> like that runway, it's the 26 yep. mile long, you know, version of a film. But I did have a lot of fun with it. And my favorite line, uh, which hasn't been mentioned yet, is when uh, Jason Statham says to The Rock, "Looking at you makes me feel like God is projectile vomiting in my face," <laughs> and that is glorious. My mm. my favorite line. I would like to to actually propose a, a literary spin-off okay. to this film, if I may. You may remember years and years ago, there was a, a, book, a little book that came out called The Tao of Pooh, which was about Winnie the Pooh's sort of most gnomic utterances. I feel like there's room for a similar one with The Tao of Hobbes, um, and it would include such pearls of wisdom as, in life, things happen. <laughs> and I just want to leave so you true. with that thought because it really is undeniable, isn't it? My favourite line was the bit where Idris Elba drives under the lorry. That was a good bit. I enjoyed is there a bit. line there? Does he go, ooh? It's <laughs> probably like, a, or the, the sound that he makes when he jumps through both sides of a bus. Yeah. yeah I, I, I did great. enjoy him. Bad guy. <laughs> His first line. Yeah, yeah very Billy Eilish. I expected yes. a needle drop there, actually. Yeah. Even though, you know, is he really a bad guy? He's the, definitely he's just an yeah. ambiguous protagonist. <laughs> yeah. He's like dead, but he's not actually dead. He's been betrayed by Etion. They shut him down. He is so primed to come back in. Mm. And I'm all in for that. Them reuniting everyone. I hope they do get everyone back together. He'll join the, the team. Franchise. Brixton will join the team. Yeah. So then you're going to have um, The Rock, The Staith, Vin Diesel, Charlize Theron. Theron, possibly Kurt Russell... Michelle, um, Michelle, Michelle Rodriguez, Rodriguez Jordana um, Brewster, Ludacris, Tyrese, Eva Mendes, come on, Sun Sun Kang, Gal Gadot coming back as well because nobody fucking dies in these movies. I want to see the Civil War version where now the Hobson Shaw <laughs> side have to take on the Fast and Furious side. It's them running at each other in an airport, but instead of running, they're all driving at each other. <laughs> yes, across a runway twenty six miles. Of- <laughs> Do, you remember, Do you remember in Fast Seven where they played chicken and neither of them blinked? Oh. Yes, they just, they just drove each into each other. other. That sums up the ethos of these films, doesn't so it? This has to happen. They have to go back to the twenty six mile long uh, <laughs> runway and run at drive at each other. That and I think seven. Is the one where they they're on top of the that building hitting each other with giant wrenches? Yes, that's exactly. I mean, that could yeah. be any of them. Oh. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. That's the one where where Paul Walker says cars can't fly as like <laughs> for about the fourth time in the movie he's in a flying car. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't someone have a problem with the fact that The Rock says uh, I've saved the world four times? Oh, I had a pro- I, yeah. oh, I've got a major beef yeah. with that I, line. I yeah, didn't, I didn't. because um, mm. I mean, arguably, this is the first time, maybe the second. Second, because the in in six, um, Owen Shaw is a full on terrorist. That's the first time the the stakes are, are bigger, right? Because five five is, is money. five is the heist. There, yeah. like, five he saves of, uh, part of road. Rio de Janeiro from a safe, yeah. from, from property damage. <laughs> That's not. Ex- I mean, is that saving That's the world? Not saving the world. No. Six, there's more of a terrorist thing going on. Yeah. Seven, it's more personal, right? Because it's because it's Jason Statham. Seven Statham's out for revenge. Yeah. Eight is more is saving the world again because Cypher's plan, I think, mm. is big. She's yeah. got a sub and it's nukes. And so maybe yeah. there's a prequel we haven't seen. <laughs> two where prequels. Sure two prequels. That's, he says he's already, already saved the world done four, it times. four times. So yeah, there must so be two there's prequels. Two prequels. They have promised now. Either that, or they do not know what the previous films <laughs> were like. like. No one. Or maybe no he just Wikipedia. Maybe he just is you know counts going to work as saving the world, or he's just got a really loose definition of what it means to save the world. Mm. Me when I Might come in that. and write some articles for Empire Online. I leave at the end of the day and go 
save the world four times today. <laughs> you know what? You might have done. You might have touched someone with your writing that day, and you might have you, you, you might have saved the soul. Maybe, you don't know. Maybe it's that beautiful proverb that's quoted in Schindler's List. You know, he who saves one life saves the world entire. Maybe he saved four people. Maybe he did. Yeah, that's it. And he just gave, that, that counts for him, doesn't it? Is there an argument to be made that, that the Hobbs that we see in this movie is not remotely the same character that we see in Fast Five? <laughs> Isn't that true of most characters in Fast and Furious? True, but he gets off that plane with the Thunderwear, Thunderwear thing, and he's got the goatee, and he's always sweating. That was his thing, the sweat. And he's just kind of stopped sweating. And and he, I feel like you wouldn't get that moment today where he's like, and rule two, stay the fuck out of my way. I feel like he's not that guy anymore, necessarily. Mm. He's bit not more as family like friendly. Yeah, he's he's like, a bit yeah, a bit he's more cuddlier, family friendly. Yeah. He's cuddlier. Yeah. He's um, he's cool guy. Cool he can still guy handle right. himself in a in a tight spot, mm. but yeah, no, not in a tight spot. He wouldn't fit. On that bombshell, that is it for our fast ampersand furious colon Hobbs ampersand Shaw spoiler special. Our next spoiler special will be for a little movie called. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. How exciting. And we'll feature a spoilerific interview with the film's director and writer, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. That's exciting, guys. That is exciting. That film is out in the UK on August 14th. Look out for the spoiler special around August 19th or 20th. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. And then beyond that, also, to coincide with the UK... DVD slash Blu-ray slash digital release of a little film I like to call Avengers Endgame. Never heard of it. peeled as well for a very special spoiler special that we'll be recording this week with a little guy I like to call. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to see how long I can make this podcast last. Kevin Feige, which is going to be cool. So we can add that to our (laughs) endless array of Endgame spoiler specials. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun indeed. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until the auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Boom Boom Bem Travis. Sorry, it's, it's Camden Law. Sorry. I established this early on. Sorry, it is goodbye from Camden Law. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, I've been. Oh, I see you around then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is goodbye from Port Stewart Law. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> law, apparently, not law. Lore. Yeah, somebody told us. L O R E. L O R E. That's his surname, Brixton Lore. Fucking hell. Lore galore. Lore galore. All right. Port Stewart Law, then. Right. Bye, Helen. And then, last but not least. I did say goodbye. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right. I thought you did say goodbye. I didn't. I just said that's not what it's called. You know what you have to do? Well, I have to. Take it up with HR. Use the money from the settlement. You know what? To form your own organization. War is what I do. So bring it on. I think I read that somewhere. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Totally. It's goodbye from Nick Dissemblian. A Deckard. <laughs> Nick Deckard. Nick Deckard. <laughs> goodbye. That's like Rick Deckard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is yeah. the dirt in Dissemblian short for Deckard? Is it ne- Nick it to- Deckard? It, to- it totally is. Uh, it totally is. Explains Thanks for noticing. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off the city of London to have a sausage roll from the Greggs in Glasgow. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.